it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. Release the beast and purge in our American streets. Your new founding fathers encourage your participation. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system announcing the commencement of the annual purge sanctioned by the U.S. government. Weapons of class four and lower have been authorized for use during the purge. All other weapons are restricted. Government officials of ranking 10 have been granted immunity from the purge and shall not be harmed. Commencing at the siren, any and all crime, including murder, will be legal for 12 continuous hours. Police, fire, and emergency medical services will be unavailable until tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. when the purge concludes. Blessed be our new founding fathers and America, a nation reborn. May God be with you all. who goes by the name Megatron on Twitter, wrote, If we had a real-life purge, I would kill as many Mexicans as I could in one night. Hashtag, learn how to tip, you blanking blank. Yeah, I was offended by it. Olson's next-door neighbor says he, too, has worked in the restaurant industry, so he knows what it's like not to get a tip. But if you're going to go on social media that brightly and say what she said, you need to be removed from that public position. Generation Latino says it's no surprise that we're seeing comments like this in this political climate. The executive director says the vitriol and hate is real and adds that Latinos shouldn't have to face verbal and physical abuse in their own country that they love to do. 
If the state has other reasons for believing somebody has moved, for example, if they get information from the post office indicating that that person's address has changed, it can initiate the process for removing voters. What neither Ohio nor any other state can do is to initiate the purge process solely because of a registered voter's failure to vote. But Ohio did. Six other states, Alaska, Montana, South Dakota, Tennessee, Georgia and West Virginia also consider voter inactivity when striking names from lists of registered voters. Do many of these folks not know that they have been purged? Many of them will not realize that they've actually been removed from the rolls until they go to vote. We think that the biggest impact is going to be felt in urban areas, especially places where you've got less affluent voters. Ohio has removed infrequent voters off the voter roll. Community organizer Andre Washington is spreading the word about Ohio's voting rules at Tridestone Baptist Church, one of Columbus's largest predominantly black churches. He has also joined the lawsuit against the Secretary of State. Most of the people that they purged look like me and you. Washington fears Ohio's purge practice will disenfranchise African Americans who have not voted since 2008 when they helped elect the first black president. Indianapolis teen Jonathan Cruz is accused of killing three people in four days in a twisted crime spree that was inspired by the horror movie The Purge. The attacks appeared to be totally random. Cruz gunned down Billy Boyd and Jay Higginbottom on May 12th and murdered Jose Ruiz three days later. He is also accused of robbing a man at gunpoint on May 14th. In The Purge, murder and all crimes are legal for 12 hours in an annual rite of violence. Cruz has been jailed since his May 16th arrest on felony charges from a confrontation with a teenage girl at Wendy's two days earlier. He had threatened the girl with a gun and kept her from leaving. Prosecutors say they will consider the death penalty. <laughs> Hordes of young adults are arriving from Spain, Denmark, South Africa. They're being called murder tourists as they are here for one reason, to purge. We had to experience the purge, to kill, release all the anger and hate. Be like Americans. We're very excited. Foreigners coming to our capital to kill. Murder tourism. It's the new booming business in our country this year. Murder tourism. What's happened to our country, Joe? Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy of today's date. Wednesday, August 3rd, 2016, so I have been told. Took a bit of arm twisting uh, for us to do a program for me personally to be motivated to do a program uh, focused on the Purge franchise. Uh, do encourage reading is more important than watching television. You can learn quite a bit watching films. Lots of messaging, lots of politics about the system of white supremacy are promoted, broadcast through films. I certainly want to encourage folks to uh, make as much time to read as possible. Uh, but 
This particular set of films uh, I have talked about for years, back when the first installment came out in 2013. Uh, they just released the third film uh, just literally weeks ago, July 4th weekend. The set of films has made approximately $300 million dollars. That is important, but not primary uh, when analyzing this film or these films and their significance. Uh, hopefully, folks will get some constructive information from the broadcast today in terms of why I think these films have been so wildly popular, why they have made so many of them in such short succession, uh, and particularly looking at the context of when these films have been released and what they are about. Uh, thought one of our guests uh, who has made many trips to the cows uh, to discuss uh, the significance of films and kind of deconstruct a lot of the messaging, white supremacy messaging uh, that happens in films. Uh, he's been on the program repeatedly uh, and written an entire book about the subject in terms of racism, white supremacy in films. We've discussed his book, Color Monitors, The Black Face of Technology, in America. Fascinating book, lots of uh, constructive details. You can go back in the archives and hear our discussion uh, on the text and some of the films that he breaks down uh, in that text and some of the other films that we broke down over the years on the program. Uh, our guest, he is in the Department of English at the University of Texas, Austin. Importantly, he has a PhD in English. I have pointed that out repeatedly when analyzing the system of white supremacy words are extremely important. I always think it is highly significant when we have guests on the program who have particular skill, expertise with words. So I think they can pinpoint a lot of specific aspects of racism, white supremacy with de uh, definitions, the way that words are used. In fact, that's where we're going to start at today, the definition of purge. Uh, joining us live once again, our guest, Dr. Martin Kevorkian. Uh, let's see, Dr. Kevorkian, are you with us, sir? I hope so. Hello, hello? Yes, hello? sir, we can hear you. Oh, okay, very good, very good. I just I heard a thing that said audio muted or something like that. But uh, Mr. Gusty Rennie, thank you for that uh, very kind introduction, and thank you for welcoming me back to the show. Um, and uh, thank you for that excellent lead-in, which really made a connection based on words that I had not drawn, but it's it's such a striking one to hear the way the the word and the phrase purge process was being used to uh, describe the elimination of voters uh, from the voting rolls. Um, so it's a, I thought of that general connection to uh, the moves that are being made uh, to disenfranchise uh, voters uh, around the country, but I hadn't I had not even noticed that that it was even being called a purge. It's just it's just stunning. So. It's, that's that's the insight right at the top of the hour from just from your setup, sir. For sure. Grand to have you back with us. Uh, I'm sure there are folks who uh, have not heard some of your previous visits uh, on the program. Anything you think would be significant to, for them to know about who you are, the work that you do, or a tidbit you want to drop about color monitors? Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe some of this will come up in, in, in the discussion uh, of the purge. Um, Franchise. Uh, I mean, one of the things. I mean, you said it. You know, it, it took a little arm twisting for to get you to watch these, and you you pointed out to me. You, you said, you know, you weren't you weren't that eager to see them, but you said, you know, you might be interested in because there's even a robot in the first one. Um, 
that uh, one of the things that we, we see in Hollywood is an association of often of technology and technological labor uh, with blackness, and particularly as a way of containing or reducing the violence, uh, the, the threat of violence um, that is assumed by these films to come from the black body. Um, so that's one of the things I've, I've attempted to analyze in that book, but uh, we see that same kind of uh, dynamic going on in certainly in the first um, uh, first of the fir first of the purge movies in which uh, that robot really is associated with um, kind of symbolically neutralizing the threat of the non-white uh, uh, person in the house. Um, we could talk more about those scenes, but uh, that that was the thing that kind of rang my bell in terms of color monitors. But there are much bigger and much more important things going on than than that specific hobby horse of mine about technology. Um, and uh, so I'll trust you to sort of set us up for the context of, of what you think the big points are here. I don't want to sidetrack it just into my little thing about technology. So thank you. For sure, for sure. We'll get that in uh, as we hop into the films. Uh, and again, for folks who haven't seen you or heard the previous broadcast, you are a white man. Is that correct? That is correct. I know one. Uh, you, again, definitely I would encourage go back in the archives. Here's some of our earlier episodes. I linked a few of them in the description for the program. You'll hear more about color monitors and some of Dr. Kevorkian's views on the system of white supremacy. Uh, starting out definitions again, having someone who has a Ph.D. in English, uh, the definition uh, for purge, uh, there are many. I'll read some of them. Uh, they start out with the verb uh, purge, rid someone of an unwanted feeling, memory, or condition, typically given a sense of cathartic release. Uh, next definition, to free someone from an unwanted feeling, memory, or condition. Next, uh, and these are all verbs, uh, to remove as in a group of people considered undesirable from an organization or place in an abrupt or violent Manner. I would certainly underline that one with uh, this set of films. Uh, scrolling down a little bit uh, to physically remove something completely. Uh, and then going down to, uh, to use purge as a noun, an abrupt or violent removal of a group of people from an organization or place. Uh, and I will stop there just with the definition of purge. I think that is a critical place because all of these elements, uh, all of these definitions, connotations, denotations of the word purge, I think, uh, are present in all three of the films. Your, your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these films are absolutely overlap. Uh, I mean, the, the, the thing that was in common with all those definitions was getting rid of something unwanted. And uh, the idea that these, these films seems to be based on is that it would be attractive to get rid of unwanted feelings, that first definition, by getting rid of suddenly and abruptly unwanted groups. Um, that the one, the one, the act of violent, violence produces the catharsis. You get rid of your, you can put away your bad feelings by having this uh, outlet of violence. It's uh, about a fantasy of violence uh, and one that could be uh, pursued with impunity against the unprotected and the unprivileged. Mm. I think for these films, they, I mean, they do say exactly what you just said. Uh, the unprotected, the unprivileged, the poor, uh, in my view, they don't say it explicitly that the undesirable, the folks that we're supposed to be getting rid of are black people. 
But it is very apparent, in my view, if you watch any of these films, the people that most of the energy is targeting in terms of these are the folks we should be getting rid of. The problem is it is black people. And I would have to state explicitly, it's not people of color. It's not black and brown people. It's not uh, dark skinned people in general. It's not Asian people. It's black people specifically. Uh, and I think that's pointed out in the films. Do you think that's accurate statement, Dr. Kevorkian? I think that is absolutely accurate. I mean, I've, I've got, you know, sort of some rough uh, points written down, and that's, that's point number two. Maybe it really should, could have been point number one. But uh, the, the film is always talking about itself, and it seems to want to think of itself as being about the rich versus poor, but it is very much about race. Uh, and uh, on this topic, I would recommend a book uh, by uh, one of your other uh, guests, uh, the Minority Reporters. Uh, the book I have in mind is, is called You Mean There's Race in My Movie? Um, and it's, it's a book that really calls out this idea that there are many films that seem to think that they're not about race, but they really are. Uh, and it's, it's nowhere clearer or more visible uh, than, in this, than in this franchise. Um, and yeah, specifically, yeah, yeah and, and you're actually right. It's, it's, not, it's not just non-whites generically. Uh, so much of the energy is about um, black men and black women, even. Absolutely. That's a point that I, I think a lot of times people uh, just try to make this some general thing that it's against people of color or black and brown people. I think that's almost a ubiquitous phrase. People talk about racism, black and brown people. That is not what this film is communicating. This film, in my view, it is specifically targeting black bodies, male and female. Um, and I, I also I wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, it seems to play out in all of these films. There is uh, an overtly flaunted leaning on incorporating a lot of the, the most, uh, I think, iconic, the iconography and symbolism of the United States. Uh, you have like the Statue of Liberty. Uh, you have uh, the, the third film was re released on the 4th of July weekend. Uh, if you see some of the movie posters for the films, they have the American flag incorporated in some way. Some of them have uh, Uncle Sam incorporated. He's going out to purge uh, the character Uncle Sam. Uh, they have others, as I said, with the Statue of Liberty. A lot of times the people that are going out to do this purging, the killing, they're wearing masks of former presidents, Abraham Lincoln, Richard Nixon, George Washington, uh, even Interestingly, the trailer for the first film, which came out in 2013, it has America the Beautiful is playing in the background as they're advertising this film about going out to kill. Uh, they have in, in some of the uh, photographs, it has a picture of the Constitution. In fact, that's how the purge was brought about. They made a new amendment to the Constitution. I think it's uh, Amendment 28. Now we will have the purge where violence killing is legal one day a year. What do you think is going on with incorporating so much of the iconography of the United States? I would say iconography of white supremacy. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I, I, the, the thing I, I often associate when you talk about something coming out on July 4th, I think of that uh, famous, famous essay and speech by Frederick Douglass, you know, what to a slave is the 4th of July? Um, that it's, it's the one day of the year that's most, um, makes most evident the contradictions of the United States, um, that it's a country that um, claims to be uh, founded on the principles of freedom uh, and yet has had unfreedom built into uh, its practice from the beginning um, through the enslavement of, of black bodies, most notably and, and most, 
most for the longest period of time throughout history. Um, so, I mean, this is this is a film in which those contradictions are right there on the surface. Um, one of the things I, I was curious to get your take on, I saw that I noticed that you uh, let in with the idea of these murder tour tourists um, who you know are coming from from abroad uh, to take part in this purge. And in fact, in the third one, they're the ones who are uh, wearing these masks and these costumes um, to show really like the costumes of Abraham Lincoln and, and uh, Uncle Sam. And they are expressing their hatred uh, of America and Americans, um, even as a, and, and actually in scenes where they are, are threatening uh, some of the white characters. So it, it seems like um, you know, it strikes me in those scenes that uh, uh, it, it surprised me. You know, based on the advertising, I didn't think it was going to go that way. Um, it seems like it, it wants to, on the one hand, align the purge with this American value of freedom. So many of the people who are purging are saying, this is my constitutional right. Um, on the other hand, there's always this kind of pullback um, where the appropriation of these, these founding, these, of these, these icons is something that's being done by outsiders, um, by foreigners, and that, that somehow that saps it of its association with, with those icons. Uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm making sense there, but this is uh, something that I found bewildering about, about what was going on with that, those, those, uh, the, the murder tourism and its association with those, and those costumes. Mm. It, uh, and this is in the third one uh, for folks out there. So you've already had to go through two other installments before it gets to this point where they do kind of keep things. I think it the, the franchise broadens as it goes. The first one is kind of exclusively focused on one house. Uh, and then the next one is it broadens out a little bit. And then the third one, it broadens out even more uh, where there you've got the election presidential election going on. And these people are coming in from other parts of the world. The portion that you're talking about that I played in the intro, I thought it was important, uh, hugely significant. They have this group of uh, tourists, international tourists coming to the state specifically for the opportunity to kill. But the person that they put on the microphone is from South Africa. Now, I think mm -hmm. that pops in people's minds for a lot of reasons with association of racism, white supremacy. And I think at the end, when he gives his talk about coming here to participate, he go he begins speaking Afrikaans. And I want to talk with some of our folks in South Africa to see if they can translate exactly what he's saying uh, when he gets to the end of that. But I thought uh, I think many of the people on our program before have talked about the number one export from this area of the world is white supremacy and anti-black concepts uh, around the world that have influenced uh, countless other white people around the world in terms of how to practice, how to manage the system of racism, white supremacy. This happened even with Nazi Germany, where they looked at a lot of the things that were happening here with eugenics and said, hmm, that's a good idea. We should do that here, too. Uh, and even South Africa, some of the things, same things happened where they looked at things that were being done here and how black people were being abused and terrorized and said, oh, we should incorporate some of those strategies here. Uh, if it also, uh, to me at least, it suggested this notion that uh, something could be happening in this part of the world where whites from other places could be encouraged to come in for an opportunity to kill black people. 
Uh, it reminds me even of Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, where that did happen, uh, where people were bringing uh, Isla- uh, Israeli troops. This is documented in Gary Rivlin's book, uh, Katrina After the Flood. He's a writer with the New York Times. He was a guest on our program at the end of last year, but he documents this, where Israeli troops were brought in to defend, safeguard. Why? Well, I mean, talk about purge, Hurricane Katrina right there, <laughs> real-life illustration so that people don't think that this is just wacky fantasy that could not happen, uh, but bringing in armed uh, white guards uh, to protect and preserve white life. Uh, and certainly a lot of black people were killed uh, who were not looters, who were not doing anything, just life unworthy of life. Uh, same kind of sentiment that was expressed in the purge. But that's kind of my response to that, uh, if it makes sense. Um, I certainly uh, also wanted to get your take because Pam, uh, also one of our former guests, uh, she was just with us last week. In fact, she shared a few comments on the purge. They, the website is not up now, but you can get uh, the cached pages uh, so you can see the archives of what it looks like. Uh, And again, that same sentiment of pulling on a lot of the iconography and symbolism of the United States. Uh, They had a website that was the New Founding Fathers of America, and this is the political group in this franchise that starts the purge. They come to power, it says, in 2015, and they have the first purge in 2018, and this is all about they've got all this crime and poverty, and so the purge, this is supposed to be uh, an opportunity to get rid of moochers, uh, the takers, as Mitt Romney said back in 2012, people that don't contribute anything, and they're just messing it up and robbing, and we get unemployment down to 1%. This website that they set up, it does not look like the typical type of website that you would set up for a film to advertise. It looks like this is a legitimate political organization. Like It has, uh, it has a, a poll. Do you think purging is part of human nature? And you can vote in the poll. It has a picture of the Capitol building. Uh, it has uh, the platform for the new founding fathers of America, and it has all of these wonderful statistics about how great things are in the United States since they've been purging for a number of years. That employment is way down. It, even a line that says violence is human. Purging is patriotic. And it's got a picture of the Bill of Rights in the, back, in the background with bullet shells on top of the Constitution. What do you think uh, the attempt, what is being communicated with having a website like this set up to promote this film? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really dangerous. I mean, I think they're just uh, playing with fire with this franchise in, in so many ways. You, you talk about really looking at messaging. Uh, I think that this is a franchise that wants to get off the hook by giving a lot of mixed messaging. Um, but when you have a website like that that stands on its own, it's not being framed in the movie. There's no story around it that says, hey, by the way, this is what the bad guys think. Uh, I think that's a, a tremendously dangerous and, and, and destructive ideology to be uh, then potentially seen as glorifying. Um, you know, this, I think there are just a lot of, of two steps uh, in this movie, uh, uh, in this movie, in that really a lot of the time, uh, the audience, you know, even while um, the purge is going on, you're being set up to see the people who are doing the purging as the villains. Uh, and so then there gets to be then this second wave of violence where the so-called, you know, good violence, uh, you know, as, a, as opposed to what is portrayed as supposedly the bad violence took place before. You know, the bad violence was when they were, were killing 
you know, the, 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 the victims um, of the purge, the ones that were on the outside. And then the good killing is when they, then the, the, the so-called, you know, the good guys get to come in and uh, commit violence against the people who are doing the purging. But the problem with that is it's, it's all portrayed as blood sport, and it's all served up as entertainment um, based on killing uh, and killing as justified. Um, and you get a, a website like that, it sounds like it's justifying that first kind of killing, the killing that the movie sort of wants to claim that it is showing is bad, but uh, having it promoted in that way. And, and you're, you're right, the thing about, you know, the opening crawl in both of those uh, first two films is like a sales pitch for what a great idea this would be, right? The idea that the crime statistics, uh, the unemployment statistics. Um, and I noticed the, the idea that... Um, Maybe it's just a tiny detail. In the second film, in the first film, they have um, unemployment at 1%, and in the second film, they actually have unemployment at 5%. And I guess that's supposed to suggest why then the government has to more actively get in on the action um, in the purging in the second film and, and going forward. Um, mm. But that's, that's it becomes the forefront more and more uh, as the franchise goes on is uh, the idea of active government complicity in this, uh, and even as you as you noted in the third film, it's not just um, white supremacists. There's the, there's the Afrikaner right at the beginning being spoken, but then there are also clearly uh, white supremacists are kind of the weirdly professional mercenary thugs that are hired to take out the senator who is the anti-purge candidate. Uh, they're very clearly marked as as being both authorized by the government and being white supremacists at the same time. Mm, absolutely. I, in my view, at least, uh, it supported the notion that the government is white supremacist uh, since these folks have been authorized. They're working for the government and they, I mean, it does not get any clearer. They have white power emblazoned on their uh, uniforms and, and swastikas. I mean, the whole nine, this is not, you know, Gus T. Renegade is saying it's why, I mean, it's clearly in the film. Um, one thing I did want to get in just before we kind of get in, break down some of the details of the first film, hear a few of the sound clips, kind of go through each film and then hear some of the thoughts from listeners as well. Cause I know quite a few of them have seen one or all of these films, um, just for anybody. Cause I know some people said that they knew people even knew some black people who just said, Hey, this is just entertainment. You know, you all are talking nonsense. This is just good old Hollywood fun. You get your popcorn and go enjoy. Nobody is thinking about doing this for real. And this does not, you know, impact. Certainly they're not going to have any really authorized government purging where people are allowed to go out and uh, commit crimes, much less murder people. Certainly that's not going to happen. I would say one on this website that they put up, which you can still access the archives. Uh, it says one night to save America. And it's got the statue of Liberty in the background. It almost reminded me Somebody has a slogan that says, make America great again. I just, I cannot think of where that comes from. That's one. And then two, you did hear in the beginning, I did play a clip from the film, which Dr. Kevorkian mentioned. I also played an authentic or actually two authentic news clips. One was a waitress who was fired in Colorado where she went online and posted that she wished that there was one night to purge. She would kill as many Mexicans as possible because they didn't tip her well. And then there was Jonathan Cruz, a 19-year-old white male in Indiana, 
who said he was inspired by this film, killed three people. He's now facing the death penalty. This was months ago. This is not ancient history. Both of those incidents happened within the last two months. Uh, Jonathan Cruz is facing the death penalty. It's stated in the Washington Post that he had a particular level of contempt for black people. Again, it didn't say people of color, didn't say non-white people, it didn't say black and brown people, black people. And one of the people that he killed was a black male, unarmed black male that he just saw. Oh, I think I'll kill him. Bang, shot him dead for no reason. Called him some racial slurs, according to the report that was in the Washington Post, and then moved along. I think that is hugely important. And those are just two incidents that I could pull in terms of people who think that, oh, this is just entertainment and this, you know, is not communicating any messages, certainly not encouraging this way of thinking. Any comments, Dr. Kevorkian? Yeah, first I want to say I recommend looking at that article in the Washington Post. Thank you for sending me the link to that. And and it was just so striking that, in fact, that that this 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 man in Indiana had used those racial epithets in such a clearly targeted manner um, that he was uh, taking this as 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 a expression of his hatred um, that was very much racially purely racially charged. Um, uh, you mentioned that you know that there's uh, the slogan. You know, someone has the slogan, uh, you know, "Make America Great Again." Uh, I, I did think that this resonated with a lot of, of of the messaging that is coming from from that campaign, and the messaging that is resonating with uh, angry uh, angry white men, young men who see themselves as disenfranchised. Um, I, don't, I can't remember now which of the films it is, but there's one of the new founding fathers whose name is, I think, Donald Talbot. Is that he's on the on screen? Did you catch that detail? I will. Ch- I did not. I will have to check as we're going. There's someone that definitely his initials were DT. I, I can remember. I might not have the first name, but it was D was the first name, and Talbot was the last one. But DT was his initials, and he was clearly one of the new founding fathers. Uh, he's one of like the talking heads that you see on the television at one at one point. Um, and I'll just say that, you know, that, you know, that, that slogan, you know, make America great again. I mean, it's, it's terrifying, you know, the idea of turning back the clock, that there was some golden age when, when, when things were so great. Um, you know, one of the things I think that is, um, what's strange about that campaign and it's strange about the movie is that it seems to be so much about uh, portraying in the movie, the bloodlust of these, wealthy white Americans. Um, uh, on the other hand, when you think of that campaign, um, what the polls are showing is that uh, DT's biggest lead is among uh, what you know, pollsters might categorize as, as less educated or uneducated white men. Um, and this is a, a Pew survey that I, that I read about. Uh, and they say it's, it's not even about, uh, most people think it's talking about the economy, but they said that these are, are white people really who see themselves outside of the system of privilege, that white privilege is not benefiting them, um, and that they don't like two things. They don't like immigrants. They don't like the idea that people are coming from outside of America uh, and changing it. And they also say that they specifically uh, feel like they don't like the idea that soon so-called minorities will be in the majority, that they see that as a negative trend. Um, and they see this political leader, DT, as someone who feels the way they do. Um, 
And I'll just say that, you know, this is, this is a movie franchise that is, you know, puts on screen what that desire looks like, what that desire looks like to reduce the, that sector of the population, the, the minority uh, portion of the population. Hmm. I was able to locate it uh, as we were talking. Uh, Donald Talbot, that is from the 2014 uh, release. So that would be film number two, The Purge Anarchy. And they have a scene where uh, Donald Talbot, he's on a big, uh, monstrous size uh, screen. And he's talking uh, in favor of The Purge. He's one of the new founding fathers of America. So this is before the Trump campaign even got rolling uh, officially. But good eye for uh, Dr. Kevorkian. Getting to some of the details, uh, starting out with uh, the first film to kind of break down uh, some of the things that stood out specifically, as I said, also have a few uh, sound clips as well uh, to play. Uh, two of the things that I think are most important, context of white supremacy, again, where we are uh, in terms of, of context and just a quick frame. It was on the second. I missed the, the Donald Talbot, but one thing I did catch in the 2000. 13, which is the the first film in this franchise and also should be emphasized the budget for this first film for this first film was pretty low it was less than five million dollars this film did approximately 80 million dollars at the box office that is like an anomaly of sorts you generally do not have films that have that low of a budget that end up doing that well at the box office in fact it did so well that they turned around and made the sequel uh, within a year that is a bit strange not that it never happens but you generally don't have that sort of thing particularly with this is not the matrix this was not a franchise that they came out and spent a hundred million dollars uh, to make the first film on for this to become a success easily uh, a success in Hollywood terms in terms of the amount of money and the number of people that have seen it and the cultural impact in my opinion. But two of the things that I think are extremely important in evaluating the first film, uh, this film came out in June of 2013 at the time when I think one of the most important events, not just of 2013, but probably one of the more important moments in this part of the world in the last five years, I would say, This film came out within days of the trial for the murder of Trayvon Martin in Florida. This first purge film is about an unarmed black male being literally hunted by a mob of whites. They want to kill him. He hasn't done anything to him. This is their right to be able to kill this black male because it's purge night with impunity. That's one. The second thing is that If you watch the very beginning, and I think it's even in some of the trailers for the first film, if you watch the very beginning of the first Purge, they have uh, what they call Purge feed. So they're showing video clips of people killing violence that's happening as a part of the Purge. In one of the clips, they show actual footage from the 1992 rioting, as they called it, that took place after the officers were acquitted for beating Rodney King. In fact, the clip, it shows two uh, Asian shop owners. Uh, They have their pistols out. They're firing, defending their shop. But they put this up. They don't put this up and label it as that. They put this up and just label this as purge feed uh, from like South Dakota, somewhere not even in California. But they include that in the rest of the clips. I'm not sure if the rest of the clips that they include in this montage, if they are staged if this is you know something that they made up and this just happened to include this one authentic image or if they also included some other image that are other images that are actual violence taking place 
But I thought those two things, the timing of this film coming out in the middle of this trial for the murder of Trayvon Martin and the inclusion of this snippet of film from the L.A. riots and particularly the way that I hear white people talk about that event in 1992. If folks even remember, this film came out in 2013. There was a lot of talk in 2012 about the 20 year anniversary of the riots that took place. Uh, in Los Angeles. And in fact, Rodney King had died uh, about a year before this film came out. He was found dead in his swimming pool. Just uh, do you do you think those two aspects are important in terms of how one should evaluate this film? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think that this is a you know, backdrop of an ongoing history. And, and that word that you highlighted, that idea of being able to kill with impunity, um, that was, you know, the most shocking thing of the of, of the George Zimmerman trial. Um, that, that it was something that appeared to be like hunting. And uh, nevertheless, there was a jury that identified with, with Zimmerman um, and, uh, you know, uh, basically asserted his right to act in that arbitrary and, and violent way. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, I think, you know, I think one of the, you know, there's so many disgusting things about it, but one of the disgusting things that was uh, a woman on the jury who said, and forgive me if I get this wrong, but the way I remember her saying it, she said, George had a right to defend himself. Um, and I just found that so disturbing on so many levels, but you know, starting with the fact that so obviously just the familiarity of calling him George, right, that this was someone who identified and sort of invested emotionally in Zimmerman and saw things from his perspective and then asserted what he did as something that he had a right to do. Um, so this idea of assertion of a right uh, and killing with impunity, I, I think is a super important context for thinking about the appeal uh, of these, of these films at that, at that time. Mm. No. Absolutely. I, even in my view, I think this, this notion of justified violence against black people, I think that certainly was a major aspect of, Trayvon Martin being killed uh, with impunity, no one being convicted, uh, Rodney King, violence being justified against black people. And it certainly comes out in the press. That's part of the backbone uh, that these people, it's said in the film, I have the sound clip coming up, but I think, I just think that that's huge. And I think at least for me, including that segment, even I suspect a lot of people would go see that film. They would not recognize that image from the, L.A. riots, but I think a lot of things happen on a subconscious level in viewing this, that it's just expected that black people deserve to be purged, whether it's from the voting rolls or Trayvon Martin, Rodney King. Uh, they don't behave correctly. They're high. They're potential looters uh, and they need to be gotten rid of. And things would just be a lot better. I think that sentiment uh, is it's feeding on that from the very beginning of the film, the very beginning of this franchise in the first before you meet any of the characters and figure out what's going on. Just having that implanted. And while this is coming out in the middle of the, the trial, I think it's huge in terms of what's being communicated. The politics and why I say this, this is not entertainment. This, in my view, it is deliberately promoting broadcasting white supremacist views and in my view, even encouraging an escalation of violence against black people. Um, one of the next things that I noted from this, uh, in fact, before I can even, even get to what I think is, is a, a big aspect of the film, I'll play uh, one of the first sound clips. This is from uh, the first purge. 
Uh, so this is Ethan Hawke is playing the patriarch in this film, this uh, white father, husband, uh, the Sandlin family. Uh, he sells security, which I think is significant. He sells security and he's going home to be with his white family, white wife. He has a daughter and a son. He's going home to be with them for the purge. He's not going out to kill anybody. They're just going to lock their house down and sit for the evening. And so the alarm goes off at 7 p.m. in the evening that the purge will commence. I played exactly uh, the way it plays out uh, on the television. I played that at the beginning audio. So after the alarm goes off to announce that the purge has commenced, his son, Charlie, uh, he looks at uh, Ethan Hawke's character, who is uh, the white male in training day, who was opposite Denzel Washington. Uh, his son comes in and you'll, you'll hear it in the audio clip. His son asks for an explanation about this night and his white parents' relationship to The Purge. So this is first clip uh, from The Purge uh, 2013. Okay, kids. Now, I know bad things do happen tonight, but we can afford protection. So we'll be fine just like always. No worries. Okay? Okay? Can I go now? I would prefer to be miserable in my room. Of course you may. Thank you for being here. Charlie. Where, where, where are you going, bud? Charlie. Why don't you guys do it? Because we don't feel the need to, Charlie. That's all. So if you felt the need to, you would kill someone tonight? Look, I know this is difficult to understand at your age, but tonight allows people a release for all the hatred and violence and aggression that they keep up inside them. Okay? And yes, if your mother and I were so inclined, uh, we would participate. Because it works. You don't remember how bad it was, Charlie. The poverty, all the crime. This night saved our country. Context of white supremacy. Anything stand out to you in particular about that segment? Well, I mean, one of the things, I mean, uh, uh, that I feel about the first two films uh, is that it wants to make the, the young people, uh, the child, in this case, Charlie, in the second film, uh, I believe it's Laney, wants to make them kind of a moral center uh, of these films, uh, where otherwise everyone around them is sort of giving in to this ideology. Um, and so there's just a little bit of the possibility of hope that this kind of, well, it's, but it's what it's really demonstrating is the way that this white supremacy is taught, right? It's, it's showing on the one hand, something that I believe is true, that racism is not natural, right? That people are not born hating, um, and so it wants to sort of hit that note uh, to allow you to feel good about, you know, the kid who is asking these questions. Um, but then there's a chilling idea that you might be witnessing the process whereby he's learning this ideology. Um, it, I think the film wants to make you continue to be able to feel good about the kid uh, as he, you know, makes some decisions that can be celebrated. Um, but the portrayal of the father uh, I think is absolutely chilling. Um, I don't know if you're going to play it uh, later, but he's he's got one of the most chilling lines in, in all the franchise um, where he says, we're going to give them what they want. Um, 
is that is that is that one that you're going to play later, or should I talk about that? Uh, you certainly can. I, I think uh, I think the young white lad, when he comes to make his initial offer to the Sandlands about how they can proceed, I think that one, might, at least for me, I think that one is is a tad more chilling. But uh, certainly, feel free to talk about that line. Yeah. Well. Yeah. No. But well, I, I guess the difference that I that I think about, you know, the Ethan Hawke character is that. Um, when the guy comes up to the screen, I mean, that's the most disturbing language in the film of uh, the, 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 the guy he's described as this, this Harvard, you know, brat uh, who is out purging. And he is, his portrayal, the way he acts it, uh, he, I think, is meant to be a disgusting character. Um, and you're meant, the audience is meant to feel loathing toward this, this, uh, this young white man who comes and is trying to intrude on the family and is trying to get them to go along with his, his right to purge. Uh, what I find chilling about the, the Ethan Hawke character is that, you know, here's, here's a big star. Um, as you say, he's already been associated with some questionable movies. I think there's uh, uh, some shocking things that go on in, in Training Day as well um, against the Denzel Washington character. But um, this is someone who's supposed to be sort of on the side of the audience. Uh, not the person you're supposed to root against. And to have him come to this moment of ethical judgment, which is, are we going to give up this black man and, and give him to that hideous person who's out there talking on the screen and saying, I have the right to purge? And he says yes. Uh, and uh, that to me is just that, that shocking moment. Later, he recants it. He says, I made a mistake. Uh, in a sense, he pays the price for it. Um, in the sense that his his character does not survive survive the film, um, but I think that 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 sort of giving in to the ideology of the purge, that moment where it just becomes something where even you know the the family that you know might be the the, the thing that the audience is supposed to be sort of rooting for uh, gives in to this this ideology. Even as in the clip you just play, played, says we do it because it works, right? He he has bought into it. Um, that's the thing that seems to me alarming. It's not just the twist, obviously twisted um, purger out there on the street, the, the, the white punk uh, with the college degree. It's the, the family inside that is going to go along with this and this logic uh, that they are willing to sacrifice uh, this, this black man. And I, I just think that line, we're going to give them what they want, that's the motto of the whole franchise. That's, that's the producer speaking. That's the people backing the film speaking, right? That, uh, as you said, this, every film gets bigger and bigger. And if you listen to some of the commentary tracks, that's what they say. They say people wanted more and more and more of this. They wanted a bigger lens. They wanted to, to see more of the purging uh, that's taking uh, downtown in the urban areas. And I think, you know, we all know what that kind of desire would be. And every time... Um, you know, the producers, you know, get a positive response for that kind of thing. They say the same thing Ethan Hawke says, which is we're going to give them what they want. Um. Context of white supremacy. Again, our guest, Dr. Martin Kevorkian, uh, the director, producer for this film, uh, James DeMonico, uh, talked frequently about looking at someone's whole body of work. He also uh, was 
greatly involved with the negotiator. Uh, not that I'm encouraging anyone to go check that out. Kevin Spacey, Samuel L. Jackson. But that film also pretty much if you just want to if you really want to boil in my view, if you want to boil it, boil it down to its most simple element is organized around a gang of whites who just happen to be the police officers, but a gang of whites going to kill one black person who also has done nothing wrong, <laughs> who's been framed, but that is also a James DeMonico project. But anywho, um, with your, your analysis of that uh, scene where he's explaining it, I, I thought the same thing in terms of this is the white family, which Mr. Neely Fuller Jr., he says that is the backbone of the system of white supremacy, the white family teaching their children, this is how the system works. And we have this system, we have this night of purging, you can go out and kill black people, and even some of the language that's there, we're going to be fine. We have the money to protect ourselves. That, the general attitude, whites for the most part, we're going to be fine. It's the niggers who do not have the means to protect themselves they're the ones that are going to bear the brunt of this. So we'll just kick back. We'll watch a movie, have fun. No big deal for us. Uh, also, I think it's, it's interesting because when you were given the commentary about, you know, Ethan Hawke, uh, we're supposed to kind of be rooting for his character. He's kind of supposed to be the good guy that the, the white teens that come up, they're supposed to be thought of as like the affluenza teens and uh, the psychopaths, we're not supposed to be rooting for them, but we're supposed to be rooting for Ethan Hawke. It just, it reminds me so much of a few of our guests, white guests that have come on the program, Zach Casey specifically, when he says the impossibility of positive white identity, meaning there is no such thing as a good white person. If you are white, you are culpable in the system of white supremacy. And I think Dr. Kevorkian, I think he saw that logic and has attested to it before on the program. But Ethan Hawke, he buys flowers. Uh, they, I forgot what they're called, but they're these blue flowers that you're supposed to have if you are in support of the purge. He's bought a pair. He sells security. Right. <laughs> he sells security to keep white people safe from this violence so that they can hunker down and get through this 12-hour stretch and then go about their lives. That's what he does. Uh, it's, and from what he's telling his son, it was really bad before. We had all this crime and unemployment and, you know, it works. This is what, this is what makes America great again. You don't remember what things were like when it was really bad and really out of control. And I even think some of that is hinting just because of the timing of when all of this happens. Uh, some of that is it was really bad when we had that no good black person in the White House. But now that's over and behind us and we can move forward and things are back to normal and better for white people. Uh, and even, even I guess I'm, I'm kind of moving forward, but this connects. I think at some level, this film is making, a, the first film specifically, I think is making a commentary on white masculinity, uh, specifically the failure of white masculinity. This film came out months after President Obama was reelected. Uh, Ethan Hawke's character is dead by the end of the film. He dies uh, in part because they do not turn over the Negro. They don't give them what they want. He, he can't do it at the last minute, even though they have some really ugly moments uh, in torturing this black male. And we're going to, you know, you've got to go out there. We can't sacrifice our white family for you. So you're going to have to die. Sorry about that black guy. Uh, but they, they, he can't do it at the last minute. He says, no, we won't do it. And we'll just try and hunker down and get through. But he dies. I, I think that is important in my view. The message being com uh, conveyed there, if you are a white person, if you do not go along with the system of white supremacy, you are forfeiting your white identity. You are forfeiting your life. If you do not comply and go along with this system, they come in, they kill him. And they, they ask him before he dies, was it worth it 
to sacrifice your life for this black guy. And he does not answer. I think that's huge. And I even think the way that the black guy got in their house, the white family didn't see this black guy out there struggling, being hunted by this mob of whites, young white people. In fact, they didn't see this happening. Say, Oh man, we need to get him in here. This is terrible. Charlie, the child saw this and let this black guy in against the wishes of his family who chastised him. Why did you do this? What did you let him in our house for? We don't know who he is. And he pulls out his gun. He's even looking like he might be ready to shoot him. I think that's significant because Charlie, in addition to being a child, Charlie is sickly and my, he's even, he's kind of effeminate. He has long hair. They don't call him Charles. They call him Charlie. He looks like he's, I'd say maybe 12, 13 years old. Uh, he's checking. He has uh, a heart monitor on. He's got to check his vitals and what have you several times throughout the film. As things are getting increasingly dire, you hear his uh, monitor going off that his heart rate is increasing. He's not in good health. I think that is an allegory for some of the things that Donald Trump is speaking to uh, the white, the angst of the white race whites in this area of the world and white men specifically uh, a failure of white manhood. Ethan Hawke's character, he's in security. He fails to keep his family secure. He fails to hand over the black person. He dies. Uh, they just total failure. By the end of the film, the only people that are left standing are the white wife, the white daughter, and in my view, the effeminate white son. Those are the only people that are left. The white father is dead. Um, what does that does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, I think, and I think that's a, a also a, you know it's a chilling analysis that of a way that what what a, what exactly is being punished for. I mean, there's one version of reading it where I was thinking, well, he's being punished for what he admits is his mistake that he shouldn't have said we're going to give them what we want. Um, but I think you know the way it plays out, it's also uh, makes sense to read it that other way that he's being punished for showing showing weakness and not sticking. Uh, so to speak, to his guns. I mean, it's almost though. I mean, it's it's a failure of masculinity either way. But it's it's almost the case that um, he never really has a true change of heart. It's almost just that he doesn't catch the guy in time to go along with the wishes. Like the son never wants him to go along with it. But as you said, there's some ugly moments, and to me, one of the ugliest is. Um, when the father, you know, is sort of saying, here's, here's what we have to do. Uh, he says, we need to get a rope. Um, and, you know, any, anytime someone says that, I mean, that is a direct invocation of the whole legacy of lynching in America, right? Um, which is, is almost always about um, accusing the black man of being a threat to the white woman, uh, and then uh, the violent lynching that takes place with the rope. Um, so the fact that the, the Ethan Hawke Hawk character in delivering this sacrificial victim says we need to get a rope uh, means he's playing into that whole history uh, of lynching. Um, and I'll also say it's, it's, it's a whole history of, of, of dehumanization. Uh, I was trying to think about the way that, you know, this thing is rated. It says R for for strong and disturbing violence in some language. And, you know, again, some of the most disturbing things that, about the movie are the, the what, what is said and how it's said. Um, uh, one word that resonates really throughout all, all the movies in the franchise, and it's used by different characters in different ways, um, but the use of the word pig, 
uh, is prevalent. I don't know if that, that was something that you noticed, but um, the young uh, purgers that come uh, in pursuit uh, of this black man um, accuse the white family of giving sanctuary to a dirty homeless pig, and they just keep saying, why, why won't you give us the pig? Um, so this is a logic whereby uh, a human being is treated as an animal uh, and is therefore deemed uh, someone who could be killed. But this another way of deeming, uh, saying that you can kill someone with impunity is if you take away their humanity uh, and treat them as an animal. And that's, that's language that, that pervades this, this franchise as well. Absolutely. It reminded me of another film that we have discussed on the program before that is extremely popular, uh, Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. I think the the most significant line of the film uh, given by Harvey uh, Keitel and the, the last vignette where they're trying to clean up Marvin after they've blown his head off, the black male, where he says, Nobody will be missed. I thought they could have inserted that in the film uh, there. In fact, even what you just said about the rope, I thought that was hugely important when Ethan Hawke's character, he says, we need to get a rope invoking lynching. There was another moment when, uh, when they, these white teens, when they come to the house and says, you, for whatever reason, you've given this black guy sanctuary. They never call him black, by the way, but uh, you've yeah. given him sanctuary. It rem immediately of the book Without Sanctuary, the photographic entry uh, of lynching. I believe that's James Allen, uh, the exhibit and the book that is talk about chilling. Uh, but it reminded me of that uh, explicitly. And I think there's even a moment after they come and they give the initial offer. I'm about to play the initial offer when they come to the house and explain how things are going to ha uh, evolve from the evening if they do not hand over this black male. Uh, but they, after they make the initial offer, they're kind of going around the house and just molesting them and tapping on the windows and what have you and saying, you know, give us, I think they even call him a pig during that point too. Like give him up. He's worthless. He's nobody. They could have inserted the line from Pulp Fiction. Nobody who will be missed. What is the problem? Give him to us and we can all go about our evening. We'll leave you guys alone and we'll go kill this black guy and move forward. This is the, the initial scene where these young white teens, and I can't emphasize that enough. These are not old white people. These look like, early 20s, like if you want to think of the teen in the affluenza case, uh, these are early 20s uh, white men and women uh, who are out having a grand old time. They're not ignorant. They're not poor. They brag about being well-educated. Uh, and we're doing our thing. We're going out having a good time hunting a black person. I uh, just want to hear some of the language that is used when they give this off offer uh, to get this black male who doesn't even have a name to go to your point about dehumanization. We never even get his name in the film. He's just, I think they list him officially in the credits as stranger. <laughs> and that's it. He doesn't even have a name, uh, but this is, from well, I'll, 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 I will give him credit for this. I believe they call him bloody stranger. <laughs> right, right. Bloody stranger, bloody stranger. So he's, attribute as well as as well as a, as well as a label so wow although I, I was i think it's somewhat important because that's how he has to be bloody for the child to perceive him as not a threat he's initially identified as a victim because he shows up as a bloody stranger who's already been attacked uh, and this makes it plausible for the kid to let him in it makes it plausible uh, you know, for the screenplay, for the black man not to be read as a threat, but to be read as a victim. Um, and I think, it, you know, I, I think they had to make him bloody stranger rather than just stranger to let him into the house. Does that, does that make sense? 
it does make sense, although there is a point where he does have a white woman grasped at gunpoint, <laughs> invoking the earlier threat of black males. This is what can happen. You can let a black male in your house and your daughter can get raped or killed. Uh, so his victim status is kind of questioned at least, but certainly I think that makes sense in terms of why the Ch Charlie, why he uh, felt the need to let him in the house in the first place. He had already been wounded, attacked, bloody stranger. Uh, but this is... Uh, oh, can I just say one yes, more sir. Yes, about, sir. About, yes, sir. Uh, about, uh, about letting him into the house is that I think, you know, this was meant to be played as a sympathetic moment, but in one of the commentaries I saw, um, I think this was in, in, in the director said this, that... Um, some audiences would express anger at this point. Like, how could that kid be so stupid? How could he do that? <laughs> so so it, it's, it's supposed to be like he's doing a good thing, but the audience, sometimes the audience reaction was to just be angry. Like, that's a terrible thing that he's doing. How could he, how could he do that? So anyhow, I thought that was valuable to throw in. I, I do as well. I am not surprised. That kind of goes back to my initial point about the failure of white masculinity. He's, not a man. He's not even learning correctly how he's supposed to function uh, as a white man. What are you doing sympathizing with this nigger, bloody or no? Uh, but this is their offer when they come to the Sandlin home. Incredible. Uh, there are quite a few terms I would say pay attention to. One of them is fair. One of them is audacity. But this is their offer to the Sandlins. That one's saying something. Okay, Mrs. Sandlin. Your home tells me you're a good folk, just like us. One of the halves. And your blue flowers tell me that you support the purge. We want to treat you fairly, so listen closely. Let me introduce us. We are some fine, young, very educated guys and gals. We've gotten gussied up in our most terrifying guises. As we do every year. Ready to violate annihilate and cleanse our souls. But things took a turn. Our target escaped us, and, uh... Several of your dear neighbors informed us that you, the Sandins, have inexplicably given him sanctuary. Mr. and Mrs., the man you're sheltering is nothing but a dirty homeless pig. A grotesque menace to our just society who had the audacity to fight back, killing one of us when we attempted to execute him tonight. The pig doesn't know his place, and now he needs to be taught a lesson. You need to return him to us. Alive. So we may purge as we are entitled. Here's the plan, Sandins. You have until our provisions arrive, provisions which will help us break into your elegant home. If you don't, if you don't deliver him by the aforementioned time, we'll release the beast on him and on you, and um, we can enter any home we want, and we will want, as wanting as our will on this fine night. Don't force us to hurt you. We don't want to kill our own. Please just let us purge. Toodaloo, Sandit. What an illustration of white pathology, in my opinion. 
Um, Trayvon Martin had the audacity to fight back as well, so I'm told. Anything stand out significant to you in that section? Yeah, I mean, right, at, right after that phrase about the audacity to fight back uh, and that he did, didn't know his place, which is, you know, for, for, you know, that's a very kind of old-fashioned, you might say, or traditional uh, way of expressing racism. That's a kind of a, a Jim Crow era type of, of language, uh, it strikes me. Uh, not that it is, has gone away, but, I mean, it, that, that way of saying it, someone who doesn't know their place um, needs to be put in line. Um, I will say I, I, I want to keep it an open question. I, uh, you know, um, what is the fate of characters in this franchise who do have the audacity to fight back? Um, and what do they have to do to, so to speak, earn the right to survive if they do survive? Um, uh, within, within the logic of the films. Um, in other words, what what happens to um, what happens to Bloody Stranger? Um, you know, it's it, this is uh, these are sort of disgusting characters. You know, that have just been quoted who are passing judgment on him that he's a pig who needs to be purged. Um, uh, but on the other hand, he's someone who does manage to survive this film and and uh, make it almost all the way through the franchise. Um, and it seems like there's a, a secondary thing that's going on here, um, which is about how um, a black man who might originally be coded as being too audacious um, can, in the eyes of the movie, be made be deemed worthy of survival by sort of backing down from that. Um, and uh, it seems to me that. Uh, you know, that there's something that he says early on uh, to, to the family um, where he's sort of expressing that voice of strength or that audacity where he says, I'm not going to die tonight. And I think that's a moment you say you kind of want to cheer for the guy. You want to say, yeah, that's, that's the right attitude. I, you know, don't give in to this situation uh, where you're being painted as the victim and that it's inevitable and that you must die. He says, I am not going to die tonight. Um, but, uh, eventually what happens is that he, uh, the, the character, you know, bloody stranger, I believe the actor is, is Edwin Hodge. Um, but the, the character says to the family, um, you know, go ahead and go ahead and give me up. Um, uh, he says, save your children, uh, take me outside. Uh, and that's a very different message than I'm not going to die tonight. Uh, the movie sort of gives you the idea that if he stuck with that idea of I'm not going to die tonight, he probably would have died uh, in a sense. But um, if I could back this up and put it in a, in a frame, I'm looking at something that I learned from a book by Ed Guerrero, uh, a book called Framing Blackness. And I've mentioned it on the, on the show before. Uh, but he says, invariably, it is the black man who makes the sacrifice uh, for the white characters. And what, what Bloody Stranger does, uh, you know, to sort of become redeemed in the eyes of the movie or made, made worthy of survival is he, paradoxically, he says, I'm willing to sacrifice myself for the white family rather than insist upon his own survival. Um, and so I think that's one of the, 
the really dangerous things about the logic um, of all of these films, and I think this is a consistent pattern, uh, is that um, black men, uh, in order for black men in this, these films not to be seen as a threat, not to be seen as something that needs to be purged or be unwanted and eliminated, in order to be out of that category, they have to demonstrate a willingness for self-sacrifice. And it happens again and again uh, in each of these films that there's a noble black character who sacrifices himself, uh, often specifically to protect uh, the white family or the white woman. But it, it certainly happens here. Absolutely. Major reoccurring theme, and it seems to escalate as the series go on how many times this has to happen over and over and over, how many sacrifices have to be made. Uh, white lives matter, as I've said on the program repeatedly. White lives matter. That is demonstrated in the film. I also thought it was significant when they uh, just the use of the term audacity. Uh, I think significant again, this first purge film, it came out uh, months after President Obama was reelected. He does have a book called The Audacity to uh, The Audacity of Hope, uh, which I I think is significant on some level. Uh, I'm, I think a lot of people are aware of that book, and I do think some of the white angst is directed at his presence in the White House. And I think at some level, this film is responding to that without doing it explicitly, uh, which just little things like that. Um, also thought the significance of them saying, we want to treat you fairly. Uh, for folks who listen to the cows over the years, I point that word out regularly. Uh, you are white. We are white. We want to treat you as a member of the white race uh, and how we negotiate uh, this interaction. Uh, but if you're not going to go along and give up the nigger, then, you know, all bets are off. Um, Sanctuary, you heard that there. And uppity, I also thought they could have inserted the term uppity uh, in there, that this bloody stranger was uppity and not knowing his place and needed to be uh, put down. Just, again, the, the pathology uh, of whites, I think this is on, dis uh, on display. Uh, it reminds me of many different uh, aspects in terms of how racism, white supremacy is practiced over the years and the violence that is necessary to maintain uh, this system, in fact, even kind of transitioning to the second film. Uh, the second film is titled The Purge Anarchy. Uh, it was released July 18th, 2014. Once again, context of when this film came out, the second one, uh, it came out in between the killing of Eric Garner in New York, choked to death, and the shooting death of Michael Brown in Ferguson. Uh, this film pops out 2014. Certainly, I don't think they could have known all that was going to erupt in Ferguson uh, or even the death of uh, Eric Garner in New York, but I certainly think that that is huge, uh, that a film like this, the sequel, uh, would pop out in the middle of the huge upheaval that became the summer of, of 2014. Uh, before moving to that one, anything else that we should uh, think about in terms of the first Purge film? Anything that we missed? No, I mean, I think anything would come up you know, uh, as as these things are are played uh, played out uh, again and again in in the subsequent uh, subsequent films. So no, I don't uh, don't have anything to add. Right on. 
the second one, I think we've already stated that it, it broadens. There are many more characters. It's much more mobile. Again, the first uh, purge, it's pretty much isolated to one residence, uh, the Sandlin home. Uh, whereas the second one, uh, you're moving around, going to different people's residences. Uh, lots of characters involved. Uh, you kind of start with this uh, black family. Uh, it's a black female. Uh, her daughter and her father. I also think it's important because you do see a lot of black, excuse me, white married couples. Uh, I don't think you see any black married families in the film, which I think is huge in terms of what's being uh, communicated with that idea. Uh, but you start there and you go to their residence uh, and kind of see how things are unfolding. You have a white man uh, in the film He's going out to purge. He's upset. Uh, a white person was driving drunk and killed his son. He's going out to avenge his son. So that's his plan for the evening. Uh, you have a different white couple. Uh, they are thinking about getting divorced, but they're still together at the time. Uh, their car is sabotaged. They get stuck uh, out uh, when the purge commences. So they're just trying to find sanctuary themselves. And all of these folks kind of uh, converge, uh, interestingly, as the purge evening progresses. Uh, the first clip uh, that I snagged from the second one, this is the the black female with her daughter. Uh, they're in the house and they're going to get their father and they find out he's gone. And so it unfolds. You find out where uh, their father is. We'll get this clip and get some of Dr. Kevorkian's thoughts. Mom! What? What is it? Mom, come here. What's wrong? Where's Papa? Look at this. Dear Stephen Kelly, my greatest heartache is seeing the two girls I love so much struggling in this world. I'm dying. You know this. I'll be a martyr for a wealthy family tonight. They paid me for this service. $100,000 will be transferred into your accounts, my darlings. Take their money. Survive the night and... Live a safe life. I love you. Blessed be America, the nation of I don't understand. It's how the wealthy purge, baby. They buy poor and sick people and they take them into their homes and they kill them where they're safe. Oh my God. It's just like Carmelo said. Why would Papa do that? I don't understand why he would do that. He's... Okay, he must have left something that could tell us where he went. Like his, his phone. We should call Callie. his phone. We could stop him. Callie. Okay, that's fine. We can do something about this. I don't know what, but we can still do something Just about stop. it. Stop. He's gone. He's gone. Context of white supremacy. Uh, so the second film, it is expanded to where now you just have, uh, as opposed to going out and hunting down black people to kill, we'll just pay money and have the black person delivered to our residence and we can kill them in our living room. Your thoughts, Dr. Kevorkian? 
Well, again, just to reiterate uh, the sort of the gap between what the film says it's about and maybe even at some level thinks it's about and what it can be seen to be about in the context that you're providing, uh, the important historical context of, of violence against, against black men, uh, such as the murders of Eric Garner and Michael Brown, um, that, uh, you know, the explanation that is given in the film, the phrase was, this is how the wealthy purge, right? So again, uh, DeMonico uh, and the producers, whenever they talk about this film, they, they are talking about the haves versus the have-nots, uh, the growing gap between the upper class and, and the lower class. Uh, but again, the sacrifice that we see, how the wealthy purges, is uh, what is depicted is the white family having purchased uh, a, a non-white man. Um, again, this is a version of that self-sacrificing uh, male character um, that his only virtue is in this sacrifice. I would say, you know, the difference here is uh, one might say that at least he's sacrificing himself for his own family uh, in this case, but that's also an obscene requirement um, that, that he would have to earn his nobility by sacrificing himself, by giving himself up. Um, uh, and I will say it, it is a film that's about economics, but it's about economics that consistently overlaps um, to show um, usually black men in a black in, in a bad light. Um, that uh, uh, you see black men on the street selling protection. We have served, accept any kind of payment, that sort of thing. Um, that the sort of economic imperative is played out in violent ways against specifically the black male bodies uh, and uh, who are sort of bought into this system. But again, it says how, how the wealthy purge, but that's not what's shown. What's shown is, is a racialized sacrifice. Hmm. Also, I, one question I, I did, I forgot to ask. I will, I'll get it as, as even though we're transitioning on the second film. Do you think they could have made uh, the first purge film if Bloody Stranger was white? Huh. Wow. Huh. It's, yeah, I mean, it's a, it would be a completely different film, right? I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the right question to ask if you're going to say, is it just about economics? Is it just about the rich and the poor, right? Um, no, it, cha it would change it entirely. Um, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it couldn't be made, but, I, you know, we would, we would have a different franchise on our hands then. I don't know the audience reaction if you would be hearing people saying, oh, my gosh, why did Charlie open the door if it was a wounded yeah. white person uh, who was saying, hey, I need help. I didn't do anything. They're trying to kill me. Please, I need help. And Charlie complies and opens to allow him some sanctuary. I don't I don't think you would have a whole lot of white people saying, oh, man, I can't believe the stupid kid. What did he do that for? Um, but yeah, back. I, I thought that was important too because I had thought about that a few times myself, and I just it, it it was as inconceivable as me thinking of them making the Breaking Brad, uh, Breaking Bad franchise if Walter White was a black person. I I mean, I just have a very difficult time uh, thinking how that would work, and certainly not being the same reaction from viewers. Uh, but I, exact same thing in terms of of the sacrifice that has to be made uh, in this film. I even thought. 
and for people who've seen uh, the sequel, uh, The Purge Anarchy, that so the father, he willingly sacrifices himself. His daughters are supposed to get uh, $100,000, I think, each uh, for him being allowing these whites uh, to kill him, slaughter them in their home. They have a really grotesque picture where they have all this plastic covering uh, their residence so they don't spill any of this nigger's blood uh, on their you know, couch uh, or what have you. And it's the same thing. It's These are refined whites uh, for that argument where it's there are racists, but they're just poor white trash. They're ignorant. They don't know any better. Whereas that, that is nonsense. <laughs> and it's consistently showing this image of whites who are very educated, have a lot of wealth, and they are participating, too, in this anti-black violence. Uh, but the, his daughters, the father who's going to be killed, his daughters are supposed to get some money from this. They end up being targeted by these goons that are going out uh, with government sanction, it seems, uh, and getting specific people to bring them so that they, too, can be purged and killed. And, it, and you later find out that they have been targeted specifically. They go into an apartment building and they're looking for uh, specific residents, two, uh, two of the folks being uh, the black male's daughter who has you know, sacrificed himself to be killed. And I even thought that, wow, like that could be that could be an elaborate part of this scheme. Like we get people. Uh, who, for whatever reason, they say, okay, hey, if you give our family members some money, we will allow you to kill us, and at least they will benefit. And then we say, well, hey, we can kill them, and then we'll go kill the people that they're supposed to give the money to, so then we don't even have to give them any money. We can just purge all of them, and hey, we went all the way around. I kind of thought that as, as the film proceeds, because it does seem like that's kind of what happens. Um, the, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, there seems to be also an element of I think it's really just the anti-black element of this. I think that's really important. Uh, there seems to be, and it's certainly a major uh, facet of the third film, but in the second one, uh, Latino black conflict. Uh, these uh, two black females, they're left uh, after the father is gone. Uh, it's, I think, almost immediately once they discover that, oh, man, father is not just gone, but he's killed. He's been killed. Uh, this Diego... Uh, who is a non-white male. I think they, he's coded as uh, quote-unquote Latino. He breaks into their residence. He's upset. We've seen him before in the film where he's kind of uh, inebriated. He's got a bottle of you know alcohol in his hand. He's kind of propositioning uh, the mom to take him with her upstairs for protection, and she just kind of blows him off to go about her business. So he comes in, and he feels, again, uppity. You've been uppity. You've been rude to me and looking down at me, and it's my night. I think you talked about before. It is my right. It is my entitlement to purge. And so I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to rape you. I'm going to rape your daughter and whatever else I want to do because it's my right. Uh, and then these government sanctioned uh, goons, uh, they burst in and kill Diego. But there's certainly, at least to me, there, there seems to be some element of Latino black conflict that is inserted into the film that gets much bigger in the third element. Is, does that, did you see that aspect there? I guess I hadn't thought about those races being played against one another. I mean, I definitely saw Diego is being set up explicitly as uh, this predatory non-white male, uh, not black, but uh, Mexican-American, but definitely being set up as, as one of, of these people that um, is seen as a justified victim of purging. So that, that's what I saw in him. Um, that he's made to show the kinds of behaviors 
that target him as an unwanted element. Uh, and so it's another one of the sort of the mixed messaging. Like you're supposed to root against the government goons, but on the other hand, you see the government goons coming in and putting down Diego to, you know, use that term, you know, uh, because he's already been set up in this animalistic way that killing him looks justified. So you're, you're you know, it, 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 the mixed message is, yeah, the government goons are supposed to be the bad guys, but here they're taking out someone who has been identified as a threat in a recognizable racially coded way. Um, hmm. The uh, what would your response be if if people pushed back and in, into any notion that this film is encouraging white supremacy and and particularly anti-black violence? Uh, if they say, hey, when these goons come in and they snatch uh, these two black females and they take them out and they're going to be purged as well. It is a white man, Sergeant, who comes to save the day. This is the same white man who's going to avenge the death of his son. Uh, he's going to go kill the white Trump driver who killed his son. But he sees this. Uh, he doesn't want to get involved. He's kind of talking to himself like, ah, I don't want to get involved. I got my own purge plans for the evening. Just you, you can't save anybody. Just let them be. Uh, but he does intervene and he kills most of these goons and he rescues these two black females and the two, uh, the white couple, the white male and the white female who got stranded when their car was sabotaged. What would your response be to say, hey, there's a white savior and he comes in and he saves these two black females. So it can't be that this film is supporting white supremacy. Well, I mean, again, again, it's it's still then it has to be the white hero at the center of it, which is the most, you know, traditional um, Hollywood, uh, you know, script of all. I mean, that that's, you know, if I've analyzed nothing else, it's, it's how everything in these action movies exists to make uh, to, to the glory of the white male action hero. So, you know, if, if you said that the first film was about the failure of white masculinity, this this in the Frank Grillo that uh, character you have then something like the appearance of the redemption of white masculinity, um, even if that is being played out against, um, you know, with his visiting with him visiting violence against against the, the white supremacist government, um, it's still it, you know the flip side of it. It's just as you say, you know, could you could you make the first one uh, if Bloody Stranger was white? Uh, you know, could you make the second one if the Frank Grillo, you know, ex-policeman, could you make that that movie if he was black? Um, it would seem to be the symmetrical question. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, there are, there are people who react. I mean, there's, it's possible to react a lot of different ways to these films and in, in lots of very dangerous ways, but um, there are people, maybe we'll talk, we'll get to the third, but there are people... Um, you know, I saw online postings uh, about the third film that had taglines like, this is very racist. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I'd see how they're analyzing the racism. And then they, what is claimed in those analysis is that it's racist against white people. Um, you know, uh, and it's true that, you know, I think in both of these um, first two movies, um, there are white supremacists that are portrayed in very unappealing lights uh, that are portrayed as obscene and disgusting. Uh, but still somehow the spectacle of the purge that they are making possible is being 
is overall something that is being passed off as an acceptable form of entertainment. That it tries to to give you other give the audience other reasons to buy into this story and to say I'm not really cheering for that when that is in a sense the main event, the main bloody spectacle of the thing uh, is the violence being done by those those uh, uh, by those white supremacists. And then you sort of have the bonus of the second wave when there's the the more the justified killings of those perpetrators. So you get to sort of have the blood sport all over again. Um, but that to me never erases the idea that you were you're you're being sold the whole bill of goods as as blood sport entertainment. Um, that's somehow all uh, to be accepted. Hmm. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense. It does make sense. What uh how do you read? Because you do have, uh, I guess, a, a counter a resistance force in the second film, uh, Carmelo and his band of mostly black people. Uh, and they have their berets kind of uh, a nod to the Black Panthers or some such black organization. But they are resisting the new founding fathers. They hack into a lot of the video propaganda to put out their own messages against the purge and saying that we're going to fight back. And they do uh, fight back and they come in and kill quite a few whites. Uh, later on in the film, what is your your reading of Carmelo and this group of rebels? Yeah, I mean, uh, in that in the in the clip that you played, uh, you know, uh, Carmelo was invoked. Uh, I think Laney says, you know, it's, it's like Carmelo says. She's she's quoting him, so you know that she's sort of, as I said, I think the moral center of this film. Um, she's one who's even there to kind of save the soul of the white man, the Frank Grillo character, when ultimately at the end of the movie. Uh, she dissuades him from, from uh, pursuing his act of vengeance. Um, and she's someone who finds great appeal in Carmelo Johns. And, yeah, I mean, I thought he was a very, very interesting character. It made me wonder, really my big question, you know, for the third one, what, what happened to Carmelo Johns? You never hear of him again. Um, but he definitely is one of those characters who, I don't know, to, to me, struck me as having that kind of genuine audacity of hope in the good way. I think that's a brilliant connection that, that you make. Um, that, uh, that I thought he had some very powerful things to say in critique of, of the purge. Um, and I thought it wasn't the case that he was undercut um, the way you often see black militants being undercut uh, in the movies. Um, i trying to remember where we've, we've talked about this. I think we talked about it in uh, maybe the bank job was quite a while ago, um, where there might be a character that might appear to be, uh, you know, a black militant, but ultimately uh, is shown to be corrupt or not serious or not politically committed. And it, it seems like Carmela Johns is a completely sincere and authentic character. Um, I don't know. Did you did you did you have a critique of Carmelo? Um, uh, it's, it's difficult. It's almost, I felt like he was almost inserted as, uh, a straw man. Uh, if you're going to have this and you're going to have, when you know, it's predictable, who's going to bear the brunt of the purge. It's going to be black people that you're going to have a resistance. And as I said, I think this is, this is a direct commentary to white supremacy. And this, this comes out 
literally like weeks before the eruption in Ferguson. You know this is going to happen. We've got this. Black people are going to be dying left and right. Doesn't matter who it is. Sandra Bland, Eric Garner, Miriam Carey. This is going to happen every day, all day long, worldwide. We know that they're going to get upset. We know that there are going to be some Fergusons every now and then. Uh, there are going to be some Baltimores every now and then where they get upset and they fight back uh, black people, victims of white supremacy. We know this is going to happen. So they include that, but that it's not extended. Like you get to see uh, Frank Gorillo's character throughout the film and he even comes back in the third one. So you get to see a, there's a lot to critique, to analyze. There's not very much of Carmelo's character even when bloody stranger when he reappears briefly in the second one he's only there for a very limited amount of time you still don't get a name from him and really the time that you see them i think the first time that you actually get to see them live they are coming to save white people now the two black females are there too but it's mostly a group of white people they come they save them they kill some other white people to extract the group that they have protected. And that's kind of it. You don't really see them anymore. Most of the time when you see Carmelo's characters, just a video of somebody watching him on a computer screen or on a television where he's speaking against the purge for a very limited uh, amount of time. So I feel like they don't really, they don't really flush his character out. I feel like that is probably deliberate. That's why you don't see him uh, in the, in the third one, but I feel like it's, it's making a straw man of the resistance that they know is going to be there in a system of white supremacy, whether it pops up as Minister Malcolm X, Asada Shakur, the Black Panthers, or the Black Lives Matter and people that were protesting uh, in Ferguson and New York about Eric Garner and, and these different incidents. They know that's going to happen. They incorporate it into the film. And I would even add, just from what I've seen from a lot of white people, with the events that have happened real world Ferguson and that sort of thing, the response to Carmelo Jones is pretty similar to the response to black lives matter. These folks need to be purged. This is a terrorist organization. And this is just further justification why this group of people blacks, they are a menace. They need to be cleansed. They're just a nuisance and a problem. I don't know how, I don't know how white audiences would respond to Carmelo Jones and that, that organization, but that's that's what it uh, my brain computer. That's kind of the analysis that I came to, if that makes sense. Absolutely. That makes, I, I, make it, I think it's a hugely important point that you make that he's from the beginning and predominantly framed by being on a website. He's he's a, he's he's allowed to speak a certain amount of truth, but he's not a physical threat. He's he's on the website. Color um, monitors. Insert color monitors. <laughs> Yeah, so, so I'm sorry I, I had to step on that line there, but yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, I mean, what he, you know, he, he, he says some. I just say he says some compelling things. You know, he says we've lost our souls to attain this peace. We no longer worship at the altar of Christ, Muhammad, Yahweh. We worship at the altar of Smith and Wesson. We, the people, know not what we do. Uh, and I think it's it's a very powerful way that he speaks to this sort of this betrayal of everything that is is could possibly be good uh, in uh, cultural traditions and giving it up to this violent uh, purging fantasy. Um, and uh, just, well, yeah, I guess I don't know if this is just a side note, but uh, you made the contrast, yes, to, uh, you know, the Frank Grillo character being there physically all the time. And so, yeah, I think he is a, a counterpoint to that, that the real action, the real action heroism goes to, to the Frank Grillo's character. Um, I didn't want to, if I may, I want to quote one thing that Frank Grillo said in an interview, uh, which I thought was potentially interesting. Um, 
he said about this film, he said it's about violence and prejudice. Uh, and it's about what we do to the less privileged. And I thought it was very interesting that he used that word prejudice. I know that you prefer you know, stronger terms like racism and uh, white supremacy, but I thought that was almost as close as anyone involved in the, in the film got to saying that there is a dimension of racial prejudice that's being, that's being talked about in these films. Because um, otherwise it's pretty much, pretty, it was pretty much a party line that's about the rich versus the poor. Um, but the actor, when he's talking about how he sees what's going on in these, he says, yeah, this is about prejudice. This is, and, and not only is it about prejudice, but it's a reflection of what is going on in the world. Um, how could you? <laughs> I, I almost feel like I've stated this for years. White people are not ignorant about racism. I don't think white people, for the most part, I don't think that they have to explicitly communicate with other whites and say, oh, yeah, this is a commentary on racism. This is something where we want you to think about. They don't have to do that. If you are white, I think it's just assumed that you already know what the deal is. You already know what the dominant motivating force on the planet is. You already know your identity as a white person and how you are supposed to function as a member of the global white collective. So you don't need any of that. You can just go and you'll say, in fact, lead into the clip. Second sound clip. This is from uh, the Purge Anarchy, second installment. This is closer to the in the climax uh, of the film, uh, when you have a scene like this, I just, I cannot imagine you being a white person and not being able to connect the dots in terms of the subtext of what this film is really about. Um, I don't even think I need to say anything for the audience. If you haven't seen the film, it'll still make sense. There's an auction. I'll just leave it there. An auction. This is uh, towards the end uh, of the purge anarchy, which again released in 2014. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, since this is the last purge of the evening, the entry price will be 200000 Mr. Lockhart and his wonderful wife, Lauren. Fantastic. The head of the sisters. Ah, I've been waiting all evening for your participation. Fantastic. And I assume... You brought your signature blades. All right, one spot left. Anyone else? Mr. Hurst? Oh, wonderful. And will your handsome sons be joining you? Ladies and gentlemen, this will be Charles and Tom's first. I am so happy that you have this to share together. Oh, and one last reminder. The weapons rack is stocked with the latest and the greatest. And my personal favorite is the Mauser Elite SSX double barrel. It has a delicate trigger and the smoothest discharge. It is so precise. It's as if God handcrafted it himself. Well, that will do it. Purgers. Please suit up. Good luck. Good luck. We'll see you shortly on the hunting grounds. Again, an auction. 
near the climax of the purge. Uh, your thoughts, Dr. Gavorkian? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, what can you, what can you say about that? It's, uh, it's definitely, you know, on the one hand, it's, it's showing these characters at their, at their most disgusting, uh, at the same, it, it's almost too over the top to the point where it runs the risk of, of being able to say, oh, the world isn't really like that. But then the reality of the auction then grounds it in the real history of the ugliest things about America, um, you know, the slave, the, the slave auction, right? Um, so this is showing this uh, impulse of the purge as a continuation of that slave-based economy. Um, mm. I, I, and again, in my view, that sort of subtext in terms of what this is talking about and the, the history of violence, systemic violence against black people that has been celebrated, mandated, government sanctioned violence against black people. I just don't think that the typical white person, you would connect the dots. I don't know how you would miss that. Uh, and that's that's kind of the thing that I mean when I say that I don't think that for whites. In fact, we reference, I think, one of uh, Josh Wickett. I think he is often quotes the film Fight Club, uh, where the first rule of racism is you don't talk about racism. Uh, so you don't have to explicitly say that we are uh, messaging about white supremacy racism in a film like this. You can just present it and typical white person, if they are informed, if they have half a brain, I think they'll connect most of the dots in seeing this film and the thought process that they're supposed to walk away from when you have an auction, when you have a nameless black person being hunted, uh, just everything that gets presented uh, throughout these uh, films. I think you will you will be able to, to do the math and figure out what it is and, and what message you're supposed to have as a white woman, white man, member of the global white minority. Um, I guess be, before going to the third and final film in the installment. Um, I thought it was important. I think you touched on this before that they kind of give you a reveal at the end of the film, uh, when the, uh, the white male is going to avenge his son's, uh, death. Sergeant is his name in the film. Uh, when he's going to avenge his son's death and he changes his mind, uh, has a, a moment of, of moral clarity, uh, and he leaves and then he gets shot uh, by one of these government goons uh, who's been out doing these uh, kidnappings and purgings throughout the evening. Uh, he comes back and he's going to kill him. But before he does, he said that there wasn't enough purging taking place. So we had to step in to aid uh, to get the killings up. Uh, I thought that was significant, and you even touched on that earlier in saying that they, in the first film, that they said that unemployment was at 1%. And in the second film, they said it was at 5%. So it's, uh-oh, uh, we need to do a little bit more killing uh, so that we can get those uh, unemployment numbers down. Uh, the significance of them making that a part of the climax, the conclusion of that film, saying that the government is getting involved to make sure that we have an adequate amount of killing taking place? Yeah, I mean, and they, they even use the term government supplements, right, mm. you know, to make it very euphemistic and, and official sounding, government supplements to the killing. Um, you know, and on the one hand, the, the, the brutality of that character, I think he's called Big Daddy. So, again, um, all of these images of paternalism, the new founding father, um, this butcher-like character, Big Daddy, he's got, like, the apron on and the big machine gun shooting out of the back of the truck. Um, 
these are all sort of grotesque images of, of a violent uh, paternal system. Um, and so, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's a movie that, you know, kind of wants to have it both ways. So it, uh, it portrays sort of the appeal, uh, the sick appeal of this idea of purging, you know, touting its economic necessity and its virtues. On the other hand, then, you're, uh, you know, the audience is treated to Sargent sort of fighting back. He's like sort of supposed to be the good white masculinity against this grotesque uh, white masculinity. Um, but ultimately, it's all on parade. And again, it's all being sold to you as, as entertaining and, and, you know, acceptable slaughter and even sold as necessary slaughter. Mm. I can I can quote. Uh, I think he might be listening now. Mr. Nero has called in a few times before when you were a guest on the program. I think one of his seminal lines over the years, white people kill for fun. I think this would probably be the best illustration of why he makes that comment on a regular basis and seeing it reflected in the system of white supremacy, in my view, all the time would be a film like this. And again, the popularity, this film, uh, by the time the, the most recent film has only been out a few weeks, I don't even think it's been out a month yet. Uh, this film is already close to having grossed a hundred thousand uh, dollars by the time it's done. This film will have grossed over, th- or this franchise will have grossed over three hundred thousand dollars. Not that I think that's the most important aspect of the film, but I do think that that is significant. Um, third film, July fourth, was released this weekend, and not just released July fourth weekend. This film was released days, literally days before the killing of Philando Castile in Minnesota, the killing of Alton Sterling in Louisiana and the shootings in Dallas, Texas. Uh, the reported five officers uh, were killed, as well as the alleged sniper, uh, Micah Xavier Johnson. This film came out days before that. And, and there were even comments uh, in Louisiana saying that there was going to be some sort of revenge uh, purge against the Louisiana police department, uh, the Baton Rouge police department because of the shooting of Alton Sterling. Some of uh, the reports, they debunked that and said this was just a rumor and, you know, people were just talking nonsense or what have you. But that did even come up briefly, even though I don't think I heard anyone saying, well, maybe having a film like this encouraged some of the violence that took place within days of this film being released. Um, I think that's important for context of the release uh, and then also the campaign, Make America Great, uh, with a lot of the symbolism that you see in this franchise. I think one of the more significant scenes in this film, it's at the very beginning of the film. I think this is like the day before the, uh, the purge commences where they have this scene. Uh, they have the character Joe. He's a black male. He owns like a small shop. Uh, In this town, uh, for listeners, this character is the black male uh, who played uh, Bubba in Forrest Gump, uh, where they end up having Bubba Gump uh, shrimp. This is the same actor uh, who played Bubba uh, in Forrest Gump, uh, where he is Joe in this film, and he has like a small store. So we have Joe uh, Laney who is a black female. She's a former gang member. Joe also is a former uh, Crip member, uh, by the way. They have uh, a black male patron in the store and uh, a Latino male. 
uh, with Marco, uh, where he works there as well. Uh, and they're just kind of all having a casual conversation uh, about a white female sender. She is running on a campaign of ending the purge. Uh, it op- the film opens with her family being killed on purge night. She's the only survivor. Uh, and so she gets into politics. She's running for president and her campaign is she's going to end the purge. So they've just seen her debating on television. And then they're talking about uh, their thoughts on her and just your thoughts about life in general. I think this is one of the more important scenes uh, in the whole franchise. In fact, uh, it's about a minute long. We'll get that and get Dr. Kevorkian's thoughts. As she's done many times before, Senator Roan broke security protocol, walking off the stage. Say this much. She got them little titties, but she got some big ass balls. She ain't got a snowball's chance in the steam bath of winning this thing, but she be taking on them old white-haired George Washington wannabe mofos all by herself. And to that, I say bully for her. Oh, horseshit. She's full of it, too. Nothing will ever change. Hey, Laney, 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 I think we've offended Marcos with our anti-senator talk. The senator's going to win. She's going to make real changes, too. You'll see. All she needs is Florida. She gets the 29 electoral votes from Florida. That puts her over 270. She can do it. Smart ass. All that useless shit and can't butter a damn bagel correctly. I can butter your bagel, boss. Oh, you butter my bagel. Well, you got jokes over there. Yeah, you just be careful, kid, with all that hope, because it can be a bad thing. Hope can lead to a lot of letdown. Tell him, Irish Eye. Excuse me, what? I'm not paying attention. I'm thinking about waffles and pussy. That's all I ever really think about, actually. Irish eye, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> fuck, you're laughing at I'm dead serious. <laughs> wow. And again, this is this is happening. Uh, I think it's about a day before the purge commences uh, in the film. Uh, anything significant stand out in that section of the uh, film, Dr. Kevorkian? Yeah, I, I, uh, actually, I'd like to hear your comments on that, if I, if I may ask and kick that back to you. Uh, for sure. Um, I, I still <laughs> will. I generally, if I was talking to a white person, I would not allow them to throw a question back, but uh, I will concede this time. Uh, man. Uh, I'm going to quote uh, Earl Butts, if I may. And if we have children, I do encourage folks to have their uh, children uh, listen to the cows. In fact, <laughs> you don't have nothing stood out to you uh, initially um, about that scene, Doctor Kevorkian. Yeah, what, what stood out to me was, was I mean, the, the the political commentary. I mean, it seems like it's uh, there's a potential for for real truth telling in in Laney's character. That there's uh, well, three things. You know, that Joe has some sort of faith in this politician, and but Laney is is going to still be skeptical. And she's saying, I'm not really, I don't believe yet that this woman really cares. Uh, and, you know, over the course of the movie, you see that, you know, along those lines, that it, it, it is consistently a case of white lives matter in this particular film, um, that her survival becomes preeminent. And it's sold under the idea that, well, she's an important politician, so we have to save her. But uh, if you press more closely on it, the logic of that does not really hold up. So um, I, I found myself, for one thing, respecting Laney's skepticism there. Um, uh, hmm. what, what, what else are we... Uh, 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 
wanting to highlight here? Let's see. For uh, for. <laughs> Uh, for anyone who listens to the cows, you can insert uh, Dr. Kamal Kamban. Our people are very serious about not being very serious. You can. Yeah, yeah, I mean, whole thing about I wasn't paying attention, or that you know, and and sort of, yeah, a kind of clownish and uh, you know, distracted speech about only interest being interested in food and, and sex. I mean, these are very negative stereotypes that are, are being uh, enacted there very casually um, and in a way that, you know, that this early in the film, it's, 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 uh, it's, it tells you sort of what, what, what the values are that are going to be expected. It's like um, one time when we, uh, we were going to talk about uh, what was the film as good as it gets with Jack Nicholson and uh, you know Cuba Gooding Jr. And uh, really, the only thing we had to talk about was like the first thirty seconds of the film when Jack Nicholson is just making these slurs about molasses and whatnot, um, and just sort of the casual uh, stereotyping and racism of it um, that tells you everything you needed to know about what the values of that film were going to be. Absolutely. I, just for me with, I mean, people are about to die. Literally, they yeah. are about 24 hours. A whole lot of people are going to die and a whole lot of people that look like the people that are in this conversation. It's you all that are going to be in the most danger in about 24 hours. And I mean, literally, he gets a phone call. Uh, it's, you know, minutes have passed in the movie, but he gets a phone call that they're canceling his insurance. So his whole livelihood and life are now in jeopardy and this is the conversation that they're having literally hours before all of this killing is about to take place that's one particularly the scene or the commentary that they give about uh, Irish eyes where he gives his mantra about what he wants what's important to him I was reminded of Earl Butts Earl Butts is the former secretary of agriculture under Richard Nixon since his name has been invoked a lot over the past couple months um he was also in the Ford administration. He lost his job. He was forced to resign. Uh, he was on an airplane. He was talking with some other white people. And they asked him, why you don't have, why aren't there more black people in the Republican Party? Now, this is in the 1970s, but that's also a refrain I've heard a lot through the years. So they asked him, why aren't there more black members of the Republican Party? And he says, uh, well, you know what the coloreds want. And the guy says, no, I don't know. And he says, well, I'll tell you. And this is a direct quote. This was in Time magazine. I'm not editing it because I think that's part of the problem with white supremacy is too much gets edited. It just needs to be clear about what was said. So former secretary of agriculture, Earl Butts, white man, he says, I'll tell you what the coloreds want. It's three things. First, a tight pussy. Second, loose shoes. And third, a warm place to take a shit all direct quote from the former secretary of agriculture who was forced to resign his position that in my view that is what whites think of black people that's what you are supposed to think about black people why black people should be purged and I think to insert that in a film where a white person isn't saying that about black people but you can just give that those lines over to the black people and have them say that I just want waffles and sex and I'll be great. I think that massive in terms of reinforcing how we are to think about black people and why it 
totally a-okay. Go out and these folks deserve to be purged. They are totally worthless. They have no value at all. White lives matter. Certainly no one like these folks talking the way that they do. Uh, I think the hopelessness is also important as well because we talked about that before. And Joe, this total hopelessness thing where he tells Marcos, this Latino male, hope is dangerous. We have expectations or thinking that things could improve or be better, that there could be some positive changes for us. That is dangerous. This notion of just totally giving up. This is just what it is. It's always going to be messed up. It's not going to be any better. And if you even get into the realm where you're thinking there could be an improvement in your quality of life or some quality changes for you, that that's just setting you up for total disappointment and disaster. I think that that sort of low ambition, I think that is widely promoted uh, for black people to think that way in the system of white supremacy, that this system cannot be challenged, defeated. It's going to be here forever. So all you can do is just kind of make your peace with it and be comfortable. Um, I'll pause there. Does does that seem logical at all in terms of what you heard in that scene? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's one of the reasons I wanted to sort of, I mean, just so grossly what I wanted to underline was the, the potential of alertness on Laney, who's sort of not having that. But I think it's important there to say that you're, you're absolutely right, that even what she says plays into that, that spirit of hopelessness of the whole thing. Um, and he'll later say, you know, I lost my faith in the system a, a long time ago and things like that. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, it's another way to put it is, Unlike some of the other characters, this is someone who, this character, Joe, in this self-betrayal, does not have the danger of the audacity of hope, right? He is a character that's going to, you know, uh, there's no friction for this character. There's no threat from this character, and this scene establishes that. Um, uh, I mean, it's interesting. He's, he, again, there's lots of mixed messaging about his identity, uh, you know, he is a small business owner. He is self-sufficient. He's made a life for himself. Uh, one of the, in one of the interior shots uh, of the store, you can see behind him, he's got on the wall, he's got pictures of Frederick Douglass and W.B. Du Bois and uh, another couple of faces that look like they're obscured. Um, so he's someone who sort of thought about uh, the history of black leadership of people who really did have the audacity to hope. Um, but, I mean, this is, a, this is a, a film, you know, that it talks a lot about soul in the abstract and uh, the white you know, center character saying we're fighting for the soul of America. But there's just not a lot about the souls of black folk in here that is, that is presented or taken seriously, despite those icons being there briefly and shown in this store. Mm. Very well said. Souls of black folks are not relevant in this film at all, unless they are serving the interest of protecting, preserving uh, white life. Um, I also yeah. thought, I just I also thought it was significant as well. Like within that first, I think five to ten minutes when you get the store in there, I'll make sure we try to get as many of the callers in who have questions and what have you as possible. Get through the third portion of the film uh, where the presentation of black people, I think just that five minutes or 10 minutes where you see all of these uh, characters, 
I think that is it reinforces so much of the worthlessness, the absence of black souls. You have Joe, who you learn much later in the film, is a former gangbanger, crip member uh, that he acknowledges. Uh, you have Laney, also a former gang member, uh, which in fact her nickname is uh, Pequena Muerta, Little Murder. That's what she was called. Uh, you have uh, Irish Eyes, who's given his worldview about what matters to him, waffles and sex. Uh, and then you have these two black children uh, who come into the store and they're shoplifting uh, and being very vile, vulgar, uh, threatening Joe, the store owner, when he comes and tries to be uh, very kind uh, to them. You've been caught shoplifting and I don't want to call the police. Let's try and handle this, you know, as calmly as we can. And they're just rude and I'll accuse you of rape and you better get away from me. And they're cursing at him in the whole nine. Uh, it, I mean, it's just <laughs> worthlessness of black people. Nothing about them is redeeming. Again, these are folks who deserve to be purged. There's no value in their life at all, in their existence. Uh, we should just get them out of here. I think that is is huge to start a film like that in this way. And I thought I, I saw the photos on the wall as well. I think it was Malcolm X, uh, Dr. King. I think uh, George uh, Washington Carver, I think, was one. Uh, I didn't get to see the, the other photo. It looked like it was obscured. Uh, I think even Marcus Garvey might have been one. I had to go back and double check. It's kind of a, a distant shot, but you can definitely make out Dr. King and Malcolm X. Um, but I thought that was huge. But uh, even fast forwarding a little bit in the story, I think those pictures are down by the end of the film when the shop gets looted um, later on, probably by black people, because those are the people that, you know, are depicted as being the ones who are uh, coming to uh, attack and, and take down the store. Uh, but I just I thought that was a huge aspect of the film. Um, we already touched on uh, the murder tourism aspect. Um when the two children, these are two black females, they come to shoplift, they get caught. Laney makes them give the candy back and apologize. They leave. When the purge comes, they come to the store. I mean, <laughs> they are drenched in blood. Uh, they have like a chainsaw, a shotgun with, uh, again, the imagery of the American flag. They're coming to tear to loot Joe's store. And Laney saves the day. She stops them. But she like runs these children over in the street with her vehicle and then she like blows one of them's brains out. She shoots all of them, kills all of them in the street. And I just thought, wow, like like you were talking about before, this is one of the moments where you can cheer. Right. Because I think you like Joe's character. He saves the senator. He saves these white people. So you don't want to see him harmed. But you are literally cheering for black children being not just killed like in the most ran over with a car and then your brains blown out in the street. This is against black children in the backdrop of everything that's happened over the past two years. What are your thoughts on that? And I, I actually thought the portrayal of those shoplifters uh, from start to finish and the way that they're treated was maybe the most disturbing thing in the whole franchise. It was just deeply upsetting to see them set up in that way. Um, I mean, there there are there there are, there are many characters in these films that are set up as being unlikable, but the way that this film goes out of a way to make um, the audience, you know, see these young women in a negative light and to see their deaths as justified and and you know portrayed in some positive way, that to me it was the most just manipulative 
uh, destructively manipulated thing about about that I that I saw. I mean, it's, it's sort of hard to pick a low point, but um, I just that was the thing that upset me the most. The way it was so blatant, the way they were being set up. Uh, you know, they, they they put in details that like that they earlier in the night they killed their parents. Uh, so again, maybe that was like, you know, you mentioned that you never see um, black families. Right, you never see a black and white married couple. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry, you never see a black, a black married couple. You see a white married couple. You never see a black married couple. But here, the only illusion there ever was that there was some sort of, um, you know, family. Then you know, you're you're being told that these young girls had killed uh, this young girl killed her parents, um, and then she just goes on and on. And you should have let me take the candy. So it just portrays her as in this ridiculous light. Um, uh, but also, you know, uh, again, then making, uh, you know, the uh, the executioner be Laney is, is just adds to making it, you know, upsetting, uh, uh, sort of destructive and self-destructive character. I'll just say another way that, you know, that, that that's their point at which the word pig comes up again, they call Joe a pig. Um, so they have sort of stepped into the role of the obscene young white educated characters in the first film who come up and, and refer to bloody stranger as a pig. And so, you know, that they're being set up as the people you're not supposed to like. Um, but here it, it's, there's just a, a, a really different hateful feeling to the way that they're being set up uh, by being, by calling Joe a pig. Mm, I think one of the members of their group, I think it's it's two shoplifters originally, but by the time they come back to loot the shop during the purge, now they have uh, two or three additional people with them. One of them is actually in a pig costume um, to just make sure that you got it, that these are you're not supposed to see these individuals as human beings. Uh, black children and even I think they, they magnify that more because the first time you see them they're in their school uniforms like they go to some private school where they have uh, their skirts on to make it really clear that these are uh, teenagers uh, going to school that's the way that you should think of them even though they're they're shoplifting, they're looting uh, Michael Brown if you will uh, but then later on when they come back to purge it's just, oh yeah we we want to cheer and, and see them killed and you do they oblige um, this film and you have the same uh, trope in terms of the only black life that is valuable is willing to sacrifice for white life. And I mean, it's super magnified, multiplied in this film because it happens over and over and over uh, black people putting their lives on the line or even dying in service to protect uh, white people. Uh, and this white woman, the senator, uh, whether it's her uh, whether it's Sergeant's character, just repeatedly, we got to go out and protect these white. We don't even know them. Uh, and they're kind of rude and nasty to us. They don't even trust us. And we're still putting our life on the line. Joe even sacrifices his shop. I think uh, Marcos at one point when they kind of have to make the decision, are you going to stay and protect your black business? Are you going to go and protect these white people? And he says, hey, uh, the senator, she popped up here. Let's just take care of her. We can come back and, and you know, we'll, we'll get to your business later. You know, <laughs> we got to protect these white people. And Joe's like, fine, all right. <laughs> and they go and, and protect the, the white people while his business is going to be, you know, looted, destroyed, burned to the ground or whatever they, they do to it. But just uh, that it happens so many times. Uh, what 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 specifically do you think is being conveyed? Or is, is that the point? Just that if the only black lives that are worthy are going to be in service to white people. 
but that's that's that, I mean that's as I said that's consistent from the first film on from the moment when Buddy Stranger says no give me up and save your family uh, that's how he is marked as being you know okay and he gets to survive until uh, this movie when he is one of those many characters now uh, now named Dante Bishop uh, still played by Evan Hodge who steps into line of fire and takes a bullet uh, for the senator. Um, uh, and you have, you know, again, Joe, is, he was willing to risk his life for his business, but then he's willing to leave protecting his business just for the, for the life of, the, of this senator. Uh, and it, at one point, you know, he even faces down Dante Bishop's guys. Uh, you know, here's Dante Bishop, someone who's created this safe space uh, under the city, uh, you know, which is a sort of a refuge and more triage and, and medical treatment is taking place. Um, these are people who are really working for peace and justice. Um, but Joe is willing to face them down. Uh, again, sort of another scene where, you know, blacks are pitted against blacks and are face down. Um, we have a sound clip Joe. of that one because I think that's one of the few times I think in the entire franchise where they make it explicitly racial, just not to interrupt you, but to give the sound clip so you can continue. But I mean, they, they make it blatant, I think. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I like black people, but I ain't going to let y'all shoot these white folks. These are our white people. OK. So let's put them down. You were saying, Dr. Kevorkian. No, that's what I was saying. Yes, exactly that quotation right there. Uh, these are these are our white people, uh, and really, he's saying, you know, I am there, black person, I am there to sacrifice myself for them. And uh, again, he doesn't he doesn't survive the movie the movie either. The, the white people uh, do, and um, it's another interesting kind of illogic to this about how important it is that the white woman, the Senator uh, Roan, survive. Um, as you say, I mean, she also is someone who immediately when she's interacting with Dante um, Bishop, who is, is sort of this justice crusader uh, from, you know, creating the space under the city, she speaks very disrespectfully to him. Uh, she immediately assumes that sort of she can tell him what to do and how things are going to be. I mean, he's created this whole world of, of resistance and immediately she thinks that she can kind of commandeer it and, and take charge and say how things are, are gonna go. Um, but one of the things she keeps saying is, you know, we can't kill um, the opponent, right? We can't kill that, uh, the, the evil minister guy. And she keeps saying, we can't kill him because that would make him to, into a martyr and then they'd win. Right. Well, if that's true, then nothing bad could happen from, I mean, couldn't, why, why is it not also true that if, if the bad guy succeeded in killing her, why wouldn't she then become a martyr and then the cause of being against the purge, why wouldn't that triumph even more? Um, but, you know, in the, in the smaller version, action, and logic of it, still she's the white woman, she must be saved, and the, the black lives are there to put themselves on the line for her. Um, I, I will say there, there's an, an interesting moment of, of the Dante Bishop group having and asserting a kind of autonomy um, because they have a plan in place to take out the opposition. They know that the opposition is corrupt and they're going to have this murder mass 
and they see an opportunity uh, to take out this evil leader of the purge group. And the sinners tell them, no, no, you can't do that. Um, but ironically, I mean, he does, uh, Dante Bishop does not uh, obey her order. Uh, and it's only because he acts out his plan as he had it um, that she is ultimately saved. So in a way, his, what, you might, what might be termed his, his disobedience then becomes redeemed because it ultimately puts him in the place where he's still going to be able to put his life on the line for him, for her. Um, so supposedly he acted on his own, but in the overall logic of the movie, he takes those actions which ultimately allow him to make the sacrifice for her. Hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. I, when, I, when, when the portion where she is confronting uh, Dante, who is bloody stranger from the first uh, purge, and he's, he's been briefly in the second one, uh, this band of, again, black people that are organizing against the purge. And she tells them, no, you can't you can't be violent. You have to be nonviolent. It reminded we just had Norm Stamper on the program. He's the former uh, chief of the Seattle Police Department. And he admits like, you know, I was a police officer for 30 years. Uh, he referred to his nightstick as a nigger knocker. He said that's how he was trained as an enforcement officer. He's, uh, he was told by his white supervisor, get your nigger knocker, go get a black person. We're going to beat him down and take him to jail for nothing. Uh, that that's, that was the culture at the time uh, that he harassed people and all of this. Like he, He's written about it in his book, Breaking Rank. He talks about this openly. He said that in order to deal with the problem of police terrorism against black people, you have to be nonviolent. And I said, well, wait a minute. <laughs> if you get to use your knicker knocker and bash black people in and arrest them and all the other things that happen and have happened for years and years and years, how is it then that you get to tell the black people, victims of white supremacy, how they get to respond? How do you get to dictate their response when this problem has not been solved? Uh, if they should get the nigger knocker and decide, well, I am going to inflict some violence in order to get this problem solved. How do you claim some sort of moral authority or white authority or whatever it is to say that you have to be nonviolent in going about solving this problem? It sounds exactly the same. In the, and again, them not saying that, but the stipulation has to be that if black people are going to respond to the injustice that is meted out to them by the white global minority, we have to dictate the parameters of their response. Like it is not acceptable for you to think independently. It's not acceptable for you to be violent unless we dictate that this is okay. And unless we're in charge. And even as you stated, when Dante's group, when they do go ahead with their autonomous plan of counterviolence against uh, the new founding fathers uh, that's in the church, it still ends up being in service to whites because they are rescuing the senator to get her uh, to freedom and uh, sergeant, some of the other folks that are there. But it still ends up being uh, to protect white people. And I think it's after they do this, that's when that clash happens between Joe, the store owner, black store owner. Uh, where he tells them, you know, you better put your guns down. These are our white people. I like, but he doesn't say I love black. He says, I like black people, but these are our white folks. He's only known them for like a couple of hours. <laughs> it's, it's amazing on many levels in terms of, of, of the only black people that get some level of value uh, in the film, how they have to behave in terms of supplicating themselves to the system of white supremacy and including as you stated, Joe doesn't make it out of this film. He literally steps in the path of a bullet to save this white woman. Uh, and 
that's it for Joe. And Dante as well uh, doesn't make it out of this film, does the same thing, literally steps in the path of a bullet to save the white man, Sarge, uh, before he has his epic battle with like the, the key white power uh, goon uh, in all of this. Uh, I guess one, one last question I'll get in before I get some of the callers. Uh, they've been itching. I'm sure they have lots of commentary. Uh, what do you make of the kind of climax of the third film uh, in the Purge installment, it being there in a church? Uh, I think uh, Senator Roan at the very beginning when she's having the debate, presidential debate, she says, is this, uh, you know, the religion of murder? Is that what this is? Uh, we're having their debate when he says, yeah, I'm one of the new founding fathers and I'm going to be at the mass where we will be purging. We will be cleansing our sins, killing people. They then show you the scene at the mass where they have uh, the victims who are going to be killed. These are white people, but they're going to kill them. I thought it was not a coincidence important that this film came out July uh, 4th weekend this year, almost a year to the Charleston church shooting uh, with the violence that was meted out in uh, Mother Emanuel AME Church uh, down in Charleston last summer by Dylan Roof. Blatant act of purging. That's what he said he was going to do, purging, killing black people. Uh, any significance there or am I reading too much? No, I think that's, that's great. I mean, what what you're, you're seeing, I mean, it, it's under the trappings of religion, but it's also violence being done to uh, religious tradition, just as there was violence done in, in that church. Uh, uh, you know, again, I think back to, you know, what Carmela John's said in the in the second movie that we you know that this is about worshiping at the altar of Smith and Wesson that that uh, a, a religion of violence as such has taken the place of the tradition of Christ of the tradition of Muhammad of the tradition of Yahweh of the tradition of, of all of, all of the world religions uh, and this murder mass has, has has taken its place but it's as you say it has resonances with uh, churches even as targets of, of sacrificial violence uh, against against non-whites. Um, again, I mean, and, and, and as I said before, this is uh, the trope of or the the image of the soul gets talked about a lot uh, in this third film, and uh, the state of different people the people's souls. Uh, I guess I want to make one contrast between sort of the climax uh, of this third film and the climax of the second film and different arguments that are made against um, against uh, the path of violence. Um, I think what you just said is the most important thing to say, the, the way that um, in, in combating injustice, black people are not permitted to even consider you know, violence as an option. Um, what I wanted to add to that is, in contrast to the, the second film, um, there is an argument against against this violent uh, violent uh, course of action in the second film, uh, in which the Frank Grillo character wants to take revenge, and Callie says to him, um, uh, the, "That is the the young young uh, non-white girl says to him, um, you know, don't it won't uh, it won't basically she says it won't be it won't bring him peace it won't." She makes the argument based on what it won't do for him. She says, if you commit this act of violence, it's not going to heal your soul. It's not going to bring you what you need. So the argument there is all about what he needs and what the effect will be for him. In the third film, uh, when the senator says to Dante, uh, don't go, don't go kill this guy. 
No one says to Dante Bishop, don't go kill this guy because it'll be bad for your soul. She's saying, don't go kill this guy because it'll be bad for me politically. So uh, I think there's this, this, this trade-off uh, in, again, whose soul matters. Um, and uh, the way that this church is, is being set up, it's clearly a church in which only the white, white souls are, are meant to matter. Um, I just think it's very, very telling that, you know, there could be potentially an argument where some, some you know, right-thinking individual could at least make the pacifist argument, you know, Dante, this is not the right because this will do harm to your soul, you know, whether you want to make the argument or not. But no, it's not made in those terms at all, uh, even though it's made in those way, that way to the white character uh, when he doesn't take his vengeance. Wow. Keen observation. Again, black folks are without souls. I even reminds me of the, the whole spat that's been going on the last few days with uh, the Republican presidential nominee and the uh, Muslim family uh, married couple that were at the Democratic National Convention, where I think the uh, male came out castigating Don Trump, where he said uh, that he has a black soul. Uh, and I even pointed that out just the associate anything nefarious vile uh being associated with black black people don't have souls <laughs> which great line uh, you already gave us in the broadcast uh we will i'll see if i can nab some of the callers here if folks have comments uh, or questions rather if you have any questions uh, of anything if it was not clear uh if you have a specific question about the films uh i would appreciate it if folks could kind of be on topic and not just all over the place i know sometimes people uh would like to talk about other films uh we can just be on the Purge franchise. If you have a specific question uh, for Dr. Kevorkian about his views on racism, that's fine. But uh, we're not all over the place and, and talking about uh, any and every television uh, program or film that you may have seen uh, during the broadcast. Just focused on what we're discussing this evening. Uh, Thomas in New York, if you had a question for Dr. Kevorkian, you should be with us. Good evening, Gus. Good evening, Dr. Kevorkian. Good evening, Tom. Thanks for calling. Yes, um, very interesting commentary. Um, Gus, you touched on a lot of my points. Um, I do have um, two observations real quick. One is um, the, you talked about black family and um, that girl that was mentioned in the last one, um, the little um, Catholic school girl who was um, coming back to kill Bubba Gump. Um, mm-hmm. She, she um, admitted to just killing her parents yeah, so she came back to kill him, and also um, innocent um, effeminate Charlie uh, from the first one. Um, I think that um, he, as as he um, seemed to be, um, you know, ignorant enough to let this black guy in. Um, when mm-hmm. he found out that his sister was to go into the hiding place that he hid the black guy, you know, that that fear of the black rape went into his eyes. I mean, it looked like, oh, I got to get there to save her. Um, that I, I kind of got that from the first one. Um, my question to you, sir, is um, do you think that there's any, um, I mean, it's obvious from going over the films that this is definitely um, the purge is a cold word pretty much for war against black people. Um, and um, however, both events that happened, both Ferguson and Baltimore, um, the media reported it as um, the black people were going to purge or uh, it was like some type of email or something going around. Were they associating this with um, black people? And I just want to know, did you, um, do you find that interesting or not, or, or what's your thoughts on that? So, so, so what you're saying is that there's, uh, that, these act, that these historical events, the recent events, are being, were being portrayed 
as uh, as black people were, were going to go and approach. Is that what you're saying? Um, yeah, that's how they uh, portrayed it in the media. Um, both um, right before the riots in Ferguson, it was like a, a mass email that went out and warned, and the police were on heavy notice because um, there was talk about the youth going to purge. And that same mm-hmm. thing was brought up during Baltimore, uh, uh, in particular when those young kids were um, throwing bottles at the police officers who stopped them from going to where they were trying to go. Um, and, um, you know, that's when they started bringing up that same notion of a purge coming out through the email form. And, um, huh. you know, they kind of ramped up the police um, presence after that. I just want to know if you had any thoughts to that. Well, I mean, I, 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 I mean, maybe, maybe this is not the most relevant uh, response, but I, I, I was grateful that, uh, you know, uh, Gusty Renegade at the top caught that, Point about the the footage uh, from the Rodney King uh, period in the very 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 beginning of the first film that there is uh, an anxiety about mass black violence um, that is sort of underneath all of this. So you know it, the, I think you're right that even though what is portrayed in these films is, is largely uh, whites purging, uh, it's all framed against. Um, a backdrop of perhaps of anxiety about unrest uh, in the black community. So, if uh, not, uh, perhaps uh, Mr. Mr. Renegade, if you'd like to add, uh. Uh, that happens uh, with the recent incident in Baton Rouge as well. I just uh, posted on my Facebook page uh, the exact same thing, where there were these rumors uh, that uh, it says specifically social media rumors hinted at a purge in Baton Rouge after the shooting of Alton Sterling. So I think uh, Dr. Kevorkian hit it on the head and it's, it's been repeated many, many times since 2013 when this film came out, anytime that there's been some sort of racial incident that, Oh man, the, the niggers are going wild and they're doing coordinating some sort of purge with Twitter or something on social media. It's happened repeatedly. And I think you, you hit it again, just going back to the Rodney King. That is the underlying feeling underlying theme in these films that they're hitting on Negro unrest. Black people don't know their place and they need to be put down. I just want to say, I think Thomas also pulled out some good details on that first film about, uh, we had, you know, neglected the specific incidents of the, of where it seems like the, uh, the sister is being, you know, potentially in a, a dangerous position, um, that that is another way in which the black body is being coded as a threat is whenever, uh, when uh, he's going to the hiding place for the sister or when the sister is going to the same hiding place, that those those bodies should not be together. We're supposed to see that that's you know, going to be a dangerous thing. Um, mm, absolutely. <laughs> get my in before we get... I'm sorry? Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say also Thomas making the point that the looters are potentially an emblem of that kind of unrest, uh, that kind of black purging mass violence, uh, that they're not in the film, they're singled out as, as sacrificial targets. But I, I think it's, it's, it is interesting. It is probably useful to think of them as being indices of anxiety about unruly masses that they stand for, you know, more, they stand for more bodies than they are on screen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the person that dialed in, appreciate that, Thomas, in New York. I'm trying to see if we can nab as many folks as we can. The caller at 3637, did you have a uh, question for Dr. Kevorkian, 3637? 
Uh, caller at three six three six. Excuse me, three six three seven. Are you just listening, or did you have a question? Hi. Yes, I had a question. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Yes. All right. Thanks for coming to the show today. Um, you used the term. It was called blood sport. What does blood sport mean? Oh, I mean that's. Uh, I, I guess I'm I'm thinking back to something kind of ancient, like 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 gladiator games. Um, uh, maybe um, maybe I'm thinking of the Jean Claude Van Damme movie too, um, um, but uh, of the same name. But the idea that entertainment is to be had from watching people kill other people, um, and uh, in in this film, you know, it's achieved by dehumanizing certain people, uh, and as as in the context that Gus has provided. It's a blood sport that has a, a racial uh, edge to it. Uh, so I don't know if I'm using the term blood sport very precisely, but um, I think it's the kind of uh, the way it's the way that these films want to appeal to the audience. Um, that on the one hand they want to say that this blood sport of the purge is bad, but on the other hand that's from start to finish, you know, in these kind of purge feeds and in the action sequences, that's what it's delivering, is the spectacle of humans brutally killing uh, other humans. I mean, it's it's sort of like the, the franchise is, is at odds with itself on the subject of, of blood sport or, or, or purging, because, you know, in the, in the third film, supposedly all the people that you're rooting for want to get rid of the purge. And then, you know, the Senator wins the election, and now the, the, there's not going to be any more purging. Um, but on the other hand, if that, if that really happens, then that's the end of the franchise. Uh, what one of the producers says, they said, you know, what do you want? He says, I, I want people to go in and get their adrenaline up and think, gee, I hope there's another purge next year. And they, they also, uh, one of the other, other producers says, I don't see how anyone could see these films and say, well, purging is a good thing. And then he kind of stops himself and he says, but, or maybe they would, you know, he's not, on the one hand, he wants to say purging is a bad thing. On the other hand, he, I think he understands that there is this somehow sick appeal of selling blood sport. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you for that. And just a couple more here. Now, do you think, because you were saying, you were talking about the minority, how people feel about, you know, the minority. We've got to get rid of the minority. Do you think that white people realize that they are a world minority? I know there are a lot of white people in the United States. I mean, that's what they tell us from the numbers is what they're telling us. But do, do you think that white people realize that they are a world minority? And my last question with all of the killing not just with purge, but if you go back in the history with the just the aggressiveness and the killing, kill, 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 just a lot of the times and, and doing it for enjoyment, you know, walking someone to the gallows back in, mm. you know, 16-something. And this this was a good thing, you know. Even, you know, before the lynching of black people, you know, it was done in Europe. So do you feel like this is white culture? Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I, uh, your point is really well taken. I mean, as, as, as from the top, Gus says, we should be uh, precise in our, our language and think about the implications of our language. And yes, I mean, the term minority is really a misnomer when you think about the world population. And you ask, you know, do you think white people realize that they are in the world minority? Um, I think if if they fully realized it, they wouldn't use the term minority, right? So, I mean, you ask a good question. Uh, but on the on the other hand, um, I think that Donald Trump is now appealing to a dawning awareness uh, that white people are in the minority and uh, are starting to feel defensive about that. Um, in terms of whether uh, this kind of uh, you know, sad sadism, you might call it, or, or sort of, you know, blood sport or the, the kill, 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 um, whether that's a particularly, you know, European uh, pathology. Uh, I don't have enough knowledge of, of world cultures to say, but it certainly is prevalent in that tradition. Um, and again, you know, I, I mean, all the examples I was thinking of is like, well, the Roman tradition, uh, in England, uh, you know, certainly, um, but I'm not I'm not really a qualified commentator on you know world, you know, history in that in that way to know, uh, you know what the what the whether whether you you could say that that's a unique pathology, but it's certainly the one that is on display in in these films and is is prevalent in in America. Uh, Hmm. Appreciate that. Uh, three, six, three, seven, uh, the color at two, five, three, four, two, five, three, four. Did you have a question for Dr. Kevorkian? Have you heard? Yes, sir. Good evening, Gus. Uh, good evening to all the uh, callers. If you could speak up, that would be helpful. You're a little low. Is that better? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, good evening. Good evening to all. Uh, good evening to the guests. Um, I did ha have a, uh, a question about the uh, about the scene with the uh, the young, <clears throat> where the, the young black uh, females were in the store, and you know the um, their actions and that whole interaction. I guess I wanted to ask you you as well, Gus. Did I view that also that it's perpetuating the the the, uh, the myth of a worthless black male, and that um, you know not even not even the black female uh, will listen to him. He doesn't really have any control unless he has help, and he he is worthless unless he is protecting or saving or some kind of way promoting uh, white life. And um, I'll mute my line. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Guess I believe he addressed that to you. Is that correct? Or? Uh, I think he might have said both. Uh, I'll, you know. Well, I agree. My... Go ahead. I agree that that supports Gus's earlier point, uh, that it's a way in which even at the same time that it's it's showing it's portraying these these young black women as as being themselves targets for future 
purging, it's simultaneously showing Joe to be powerless. Yes. Yeah, I would I would agree there as well. Um, I think pretty much all of the black characters in these films come across as being pretty powerless. Um, I think the only time that they the only time that they're able to flex any real agency, as I think was stated, is in service uh, to whites. But I don't think anybody uh, in these films does any black people uh, displays any uh, power on their own. That's just about, you know, self-preservation or enforcing their will uh and what's going to happen on things i don't think that's on display at all i don't i don't even think you see irish eyes securing his waffles <laughs> from his his worldview as presented at the beginning of uh the third film yeah and I, i'm even thinking of like uh you know the the somewhat uh, like the menacing skate punks in the second film that wear that uh makeup you know the white makeup mm. um and and you think they're going to be kind of like the big scary characters, but then at the end of the film, you, you know, it's revealed that they were just looking for a payday, that they're just working for, and they're just working for the man, and that you know they they're not some super you know scary predators. They just they're just they're just getting paid and trying to collect and work, and work for somebody else. And so they're kind of even though they're separate, these big scary uh, characters, they're even 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 in their villainy, they're kind of diminished. Uh, I don't know if I should care about that or not, but I, I noticed that they were kind of, even that, they seemed to kind of be this powerful force and menace. Um, but they, they, it seems like the film went out of its way to diminish them even at the end. Mm. Their agency in service to whites, once again. Uh, the person that dialed in, uh, uh, four. Two three one four two three one. Did you have a question for Dr. Kavorkin? You should be with us. Four two three one. Yes. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. All right. Peace to all the callers, to the hosts, and to the platform, and welcome to our guest. Um, my main observation that I take from the discussion and uh, the points that have been made is that basically. <clears throat> The way that we talk about ISIS, <clears throat> excuse me, the way that we talk about ISIS and the way that we talk about the racist white supremacist system of sophisticated terror terrorism is pretty much the same to me. And uh, when I look at these type of movies or I see this, it, it just shows me the corruption and the ongoing crusades. And um, it's just basically a sophisticated form of terrorism where they want to dumb down the victim. But yet when it comes to a small, low budget, barely making it terrorist group called ISIS uh, and the religion of Islam is also always hinted to as being something that racist white supremacists don't like because of the firm value against racism, white supremacy, and uh, basically letting a black person know that, hey, although a white person wants to say your soul is worthless in Christianity and maybe Judaism, um, and under Mohammedan, uh, there's a whole total different uh, outlook for you. And I see that racism, white supremacy, and their sophisticated form of terrorism works on 
many levels. Uh, sir, and this, I just we wanted had a to lot ask, of folks. If, yeah, if you can get to your question, thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to ask, do you uh, think that black people should have a difference in how they view ISIS and how they view uh, the racist white supremacists, the alleged Illuminati, all of that, the white Freemasons, Shriners, all of that? Well, as I may have mentioned before, I think it's it's important that um, you know it's one of the things I like about the Carmelo Carmelo John speech is that he mentions the betrayal of Muhammad as well as the betrayal of Christ, um, and uh, you know I think that there's a way of, of as you think think about it you know the the scale of these things it's it's true um, that there is an analogy. Uh, between uh, you know the way that ISIS is talked about and the kinds of things that that uh, that we've been talking about here, um, but I think it's also you know important to see just as um, you know ISIS you know could be seen very often as twisting or being a betrayal of uh, the traditions of Islam, you know, using it uh, in in ways for you know, hateful violence. Uh, it's uh, the the kinds of white supremacy that we see um, being shown in these films is is very explicitly a, a perversion or a corruption of, uh, of the Christian uh, message. Um, so I would say, you know, I guess what I'm saying is, is I, I don't know about had to, you know to tell anyone how you how you know any one group of people should think about about ISIS, but um, I think it's it's healthy to view both uh, these both white supremacists and uh, violent uh, Islamic extremism as really betrayals of uh, certain religious traditions, all of which have a lot of potential. Um, and we've talked about sort of the double-edged sort of of uh, religion and some of the other films uh, when I've been on the show, I think when we talked about uh, Nothing But a Man, um, uh, Gusty Renegade pointed out that uh, there, it's clear that in that film there's real corruption in in the church um, and uh, sort of compromise of, of, uh, of the black community through the church. But on the other hand, it's a source of wisdom and strength uh, for the woman who is the main character, who uh, you know is taught there, as you can find in any of these uh, traditions, that there is a message that should be emphasized: uh, the universality of you know all human beings being valued, all their souls being valued, that all are children of God. And uh, I think if you take the best of any of these traditions, I don't I don't think uh, you would find um, there's anything deterministic about any any one of these religions that would exclude uh, or naturally lead to, to racism or, or white supremacy. That's my feeling, though. Uh, the caller at one eight four two one eight four two. did you have a question for Dr. Kevorkian? Hello, can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Hello. Um, hello, Dr. Kevorkian. I know that you... Um, are, have your PhD or doctor in English, um, and I know that you don't know all cultures, 
but I do know that you're aware that this program is dedicated to informing victims of racism, white supremacy, on exactly what racism is um, mm -hmm. and trying to have constructive dialogue about what to do about it. I am particularly concerned with the nature of the Purge series. Um, I also had an opportunity to check out the website or the archived website, and I was really disturbed because I, for a really long time, didn't even know that was the trailer website. Like, I didn't know that's what I was looking at. I wow. actually thought I was looking at a um, an organization's website. I kept clicking links. They actually had information and, you know, all of that. And I realized, I said, oh, this is the movie trailer website. Anywho, with that being said, um, I, like I said, I know that, you know, you may not feel comfortable speaking on other cultures or whatever, but you have seen the films and have dissected it, but you, overall you understand that there's a message being sent. Would you say that that message is it's okay for white people to just kill black people? And if that is the case or something like that, I might not be wording it 100% correctly, but if that is the case, then as a white person who is having this conversation with us on this platform, what would you say to victims of racism, white supremacy, or non-white people about either to prepare or to be aware, or what do we do? I'll mute myself. Yeah, it's a, it's a very it's a very fair question. Um, it's it's a difficult question. Um, uh, you know, it's I I try to to, to analyze these and, and critique them the best I can. And yes, I, I agree that. Uh, particularly when you had that website out there on its own, you know, without any sort of context for understanding where it's coming from, it absolutely comes across, would come across as a promotion of uh, the idea of being able to kill uh, black people with impunity. And as uh, Gus pointed out, uh, this whole franchise is launched in at the same moment um, when we see that playing out in uh, in the, on the American stage and things like the George Zimmerman trial where he was able uh, to uh, kill uh, Trayvon Martin with, it, with impunity. So, yeah, that's a messaging that is, is, is from that website as you saw it. It's a messaging that can be found at, within this movie. Uh, like, again, I think it's a movie that sends all kinds of mixed messages. I mean, as I said, there are people who, who watch this film and say, you know, this film was racist against white people. I, I, I said that, and, you know, and, and Gus laughed inappropriately, but I'm saying people see the film and think that, and it makes them angry that way. Um, so uh, I, I guess, you know, it, it's, it's something that I've, I, I think I've, I've, I've said before, but um, I would just ask you to, to weigh the analysis that you've heard that, that, I've, that I've tried to give that uh, has been enabled by uh, Gus's conversation, enabled by these questions, and really make of it, you know, your own program for, for what you need to do. Uh, I would be, I'd be very hesitant to think that anyone should, should listen to my advice about what, what to do. Um, and I, I don't mean to say that in a way not to be helpful. I mean, I, I'm someone who believes in education, um, and so I'd say, you know, get as, as much education as, as you can get access to, and uh, Gus providing the show is one avenue of, of educating yourself. Um, but, you know, uh, beyond that, on steps to prepare, uh, I would 
I'd be more comfortable leaving that kind of advice to Mr. Renegade. Uh, Thank you. I have a follow-up question. Do you mind really quick? Proceed. Me. Proceed. Okay. Um, just really quickly. Um, again, I know that, you know, you're not a psychologist or anything like that, but you are a white man. Um, and so if you could, and I know that you've watched many films and dissected them, so you're able to see what white people are producing, what white people want other white people to know, and what white people are telling non-white people to know. So um, could you comment a little bit on white pathology? Um, Gus had mentioned it at some point, and it, it seems like we kind of brushed over it really quickly. Like we, we started talking about something else, but we really didn't talk about what does the Purge series mean about white people? Not necessarily like, you know, images of what we see about black people, but what does it mean about white people that they enjoy this kind of violence or that like this is part of their pathology or psychology? And I know that you've watched way more films and dissected way more films than I have, so I'm sure that you've seen this motif in a lot of films. Could you speak a little bit about that? Even well, if it's not within your purview of your degree, but just as a white man. No, I, 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 well, yeah, thank you uh, uh, for that, inviting me to, to, to speculate in that way, because, I mean, I think that these, these films are, are very powerful and, and disturbing and are, are really a picture of, of white pathology. Um, but the, the thing that I find, you know, potentially the most in, insidious is that on the, on the one hand, it's, these are films that portray white pathology in a way that is really unappealing, uh, strangely, right? I mean, some of the most loathsome characters are... Uh, you know, those wealthy, privileged white, white characters, you know, carrying out their violence. And so I think that these are films that perversely allow an audience to both enjoy that white pathology subconsciously at the same time where they think that they are rejecting it, where they think that it's not something that they are enjoying. There's, there's, you're, you're allowed to think oh, I don't like those people, at the same time that the movie is selling that enjoyment. I think it's, it would be really hard to sell it straight for someone to both consciously and unconsciously be saying, yeah, that's really what I enjoy, to admit that that's, that's what, what the audience enjoys. So it gives the audience both an out to say, uh, uh, white pathology is not me, at the same time that that is still a, a part of the, the appeal of the spectacle. Um, so that's the most, the best time I can give it, kind of the double psychology of it. Um, trying to offer the enjoyment while offering a way of saying, but that's not really what you're enjoying. You, you, you really are against that. Um, you know, and I'm sorry if that's not, not helpful, but that's... Um, that's the closest I can come to thinking, you know, how could these films have such a broad appeal? Because really, in, it's, it, it's on some sense, on an individual sense, it's, it's baffling. But then on the, other sense, on the other sense, in a historical context, it's just all too real and plausible that these would be appealing. Mm-hmm. I think we talked about one of the, uh, I mentioned it already, Pulp Fiction, where there's violence against black people in one of the most, celebrated films to come out in the last 
half century, I would say. I would for sure put Pulp Fiction on that <laughs> list for the got nominated for Academy Awards. I think uh, many people think that's Quentin Tarantino's finest work. And the climax is a black person getting his head. No one who will be missed. Black male getting his head blown off and disposed of in a, uh, what is it? A, uh, just, it's a place where they take cars after they don't work anymore. Uh, it's like a dump site, oh. basically. Tractor Joe's, uh, Tractor Joe's car lot or something where they're just going to throw him in an old dump car and, and move forward with Marvin. It's standard operating procedure in the system of white supremacy and white entertainment. I've said that the, the foundation of white supremacist entertainment is violence against black bodies. Uh, and that goes all the way back to P.T. Barnum uh, and the circus. We talked about that P.T. Barnum buying a black slave, Joyce Heth, putting her body on display when she died for dissection and charging people uh, like a nickel. Uh, to see her when she died and speculating about how old she was and all of that and birth of a nation. Certainly we just had the 100 year matter of fact, I think the 100 year anniversary was just last year for birth of a nation and certainly celebration of violence against black people, long running tradition, um, long running aspect of white culture. I would submit uh, great questions. Uh, the caller is six, four, nine, two, six, four, nine, two. Did you have a question for Dr. Kevorkian? Hi, hello everyone. Greetings. Um, Hi, Joy. Greetings. I um, haven't seen any of the Purge movies, but um, you know, just listening to this, I find it very disturbing. I interact with a lot of uh, white people on social media, and I hear these same things over and over again, and I kind of just blew it off. But now listening to this, uh, it's almost like, and I'm not sure, maybe this, um, there's sort of like a parallel messaging going on. On one hand, these people, they're black, they're useless, they're worthless, get rid of them, good riddance. And black people don't fight back, don't question, don't say anything because it'll either um, get you killed too or, you know, you can, um, you know, it's just not a good thing. Don't even, don't even think you're better than that. Is, is that what's going on? Is that the purpose of these movies? I can't even imagine why anyone would create such movies. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And I think it's a good summary of the messaging that we've been, that we, that we definitely see in these films. Um, you know, it's, I think sometimes people don't, uh, I mean, sometimes they really know, but sometimes they don't completely know, or they don't admit to themselves what they're, what they're making or what they're doing. Um, I heard, uh, uh, one of the interviews with, with, with one of the white actors, Zach Guilford, um, he's, uh, the young man who's, uh, who's uh, part of the, the young white couple, uh, in, in the second film. Um, and he said, you know, uh, that, he said James DeMonaco was actually surprised at the response to the first film. He said he thought he was making a, a social commentary and he thought he was making a satire. He thought he was making a, a commentary on uh, sort of the grotesqueness of the privilege of the rich versus the poor. Uh, but then he was sort of surprised to see people really identifying with it. And it, the, that one example he gave was like, uh, this is even a, this is a totally different way to respond to the movie, but um, people saying, "Yeah, I want to kill my boss," uh, and uh, 
saying, well, that, that wasn't what uh, the franchise initially set out to be. Um, but then seeing where the, its successes were, then deciding, well, if that's bankable, then, uh, you know, in the words of, of the Ethan Hawke character, we'll, we'll get, we're going to give them what, what, what they want. Um, but, yeah, I think it's right. It's, it's almost impossible to think of someone setting out and saying, yeah, we're going to make uh, this hateful thing, and I see, my, you know, see themselves as, as making it in that, in that hateful way. Um, but the fact is that, you know, we live in uh, a, a culture that is, is racist. It's, it's sort of deep in our history, and um, there are stories that get told that are just piggybacking on some of the old stories and borrow strength from them in ways that they probably don't even realize. Um, you know, Gus, you just, just mentioned Birth of a Nation. I mean, that has been so influential on, on the rest of cinema and, and even on people who don't even realize that they're being influenced um, by the way that, that that big screen epic was told. Um, and also, again, just as, as, as Gus uh, let off the show by talking about the fact, oh, you know, people say it's just movies. These have real effects. Uh, as in the Indiana man who's doing the killing. Obviously, Birth of a Nation was one that was not just about negative portrayals, but it sparked off actual violence uh, against black bodies. Uh, it was done at a time when maybe it, that was actually something that it could be thought of as a, a, a conscious goal. Um, but I think you're right that the kind of um, thinking that goes on uh, with these movies has to be a kind of double messaging or double double thinking that um, the movies end up sending out far more hateful messages than anyone could consciously or that I would like to think or consciously set up, oh, yeah, we want to do that kind of story. Before I get uh, Roz, I just wanted to insert... Uh, that website, uh, in my opinion, I'm not sure if I believe Mr. Uh, DeMonico. Uh, as I said, this is not the first time that he's done a movie that basically the plot is a group of whites conspiring to kill one black person. Um, that website and the authenticity of the website and the is it human nature to purge? That being one of the poll questions. I'm not sure if I believe him when he says that they the original agenda was to make a satire about privilege, class privilege, certainly not talking about anything to do with white supremacy, racism, but a satire. And then seeing how people responded, we kind of went the other way. I'm not sure if I believe that, uh, but that I could be misreading things. Uh, uh, Roz, did you have uh Comment, question, sorry, question for uh, Dr. Kevorkian. Uh, Raj, you should be with us. Oh, yes. Um, greetings to you, Gus. Greetings to you, Dr. Kevorkian. Um, yeah, I did have uh, a couple of questions, but I wanted to ask you about what you just said. Did you say that the, um, the, the maker of the franchise said that all humans purge? Are you asking me or Dr. Kevorkian? I'm asking you because I think you were talking about him just now. Am I correct? Oh, I, I said uh, on uh, this website that they have, uh, it was set up. It's not online now, but you can see the archive of it. They had a website set up for the new founding fathers. And one of the questions, it was a poll question. It was, is it human nature to purge? And this is one of the poll questions. And you could respond. Uh, you could you know, submit your answer and see the poll results. But I said that 
just having a website like that that looks so authentic and it looks like some sort of legitimate real world political organization that having a website like that that is all about endorsing that yes the purge is great I don't believe the white filmmaker Mr. Uh, James DeMonico I don't believe his uh, report that they started out to make some sort of commentary about privilege and then saw the audience response and kind of went a different route with I guess their marketing and their idea about this franchise that was what I said Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, like, just in the context of the film and white supremacy, when the question was posed, um, um, all, as far as um, with, um, all humans purging, I would ba- basically say all white people, because as far as the context of the movie, the only true humans are white people in the film. So I think that term "human" is really referring to white people specifically and not non-white people. But to um, get to my question. To piggyback off of um, Dr. Kevorkian's prior discussion regarding the um, the gladiator or Roman Colosseum kind of um, scenario with the purge, I wanted to ask simply because of the fact that the purge is really like um, really art imitating life because what's happening to black people is essentially what's happening on the purge, um, and essentially it. Um, it has become a planetary phenomena. Neely Fuller um, always discusses white supremacy as a planetary plantation. Would you say that white people, because they have conquered the known world, that they have now created a planetary coliseum? And the purge is kind of reflective of that, especially with the fact that American culture is so widely um, absorbed by all kinds of people around the world. That's my wow. first question. I think that I just want to say that's a great, great phrase to think about the concept of planetary plantation becoming planetary coliseum. I think that's a, a powerful formulation and, and terrifying as well. But yeah, it's, it is it is art imitating uh, life. Um, and also, I also want to, you know, and say that, that uh, yes, I do agree with that analysis that um, it's about, uh, the films are definitely about, about whites as the humans. Um, I mean, I, I did, and again, just to kind of go along with what uh, Gus was saying about what the filmmakers really think they're up to, uh, these are a couple of quotations uh, from producers. Uh, this is from the Behind the Anarchy Making of uh, video. Uh, we think the audience has wanted to see more than we gave them in the first film. What would be more fun than hunting humans in a sculpture garden? Um, and uh, this is another producer says, in the oddest, most depraved way, it's a fantasy of what you could do if you could kill whoever you wanted to on that one night. Uh, so here talking about it, about in terms of fulfilling a fantasy, uh, about it being fun, seeing people being killed. Um, but again, uh, hunting humans, when you say hunting humans, already the term hunting suggests the pursuit of an animal and presenting that as fun as as sport is actually something that, uh, you know, in that in that making of anarchy, that's what the producers say. That's what the audience wanted to see more of, and that's what this this uh, this franchise is going to deliver. But uh, thank you for that that well well made phrase, the the planetary coliseum, indeed. And um, I have one more question. That was, um, who would you say is more confused, in your opinion, as a white person about racism, black people or white people? And to give context, um, just looking at the Purge film franchises and all the numerous films that have come out that uh, denigrate black people, um, I would just say 
um, there's there's a high level of refinement of the system in the fact that there are so many black people participating in self-denigrating films. But in, in especially films like this that depict such um, incredible, uh, violent and heinous death of black people in all these various forms. So I just wanted to know who would you say, in your opinion, is more um, confused about racism, white supremacy, uh, black people or white people? Thank you. And thank you for, for uh, being on the program this evening, sir. Uh, thank, thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you to, to all the partners. Thank you to Gus. And uh, I, I just, I'll go back in time and I'll, to, to answer uh, a little bit about, you know, the way confusion and, and deception works uh, in, a, in a racist system, um, that uh, this is a, from, the, from the confessions of Nat Turner when uh, he's talking about uh, his, his childhood uh, that eventually led to him, him leading a, a, a slave revolt, um, uh, that he, uh, dis, despite everything being stacked against him, uh, learned to read. And he says the the black the black people around me were more surprised than the white people that I had learned to read, and I just thought that is a really powerful insight of uh, the kind of confusion that can take pr- place under oppression and lack of access to to learning. Um, that there's that that statement reveals a kind of bad faith on the part of the white people. In other words. When he, when he says the black people were more surprised that I could learn to read than the white people were, right? That means that the white people had been telling the lie, had been telling the lie that black people were not capable of learning. But it means that the white people, because they were originators of that lie in that culture, they knew it was a lie. But the black people, that is all that they had been told. So when Nat Turner is able to read, it surprises the people around him more than it surprises the white people. They knew that they were lying. So I don't know if that applies to all areas of confusion. I think there are probably a lot of things about white supremacy that white people are confused about and that I'm confused about. I can't claim the the aspects of it that that baffle me, but I think that that, I really do think of that, that Nat Turner moment as exemplifying how uh, the people in power who control the lies are less confused about it than the people who have been forced to, who have never known anything other than the lie. Uh, and I, I, I think that might go with what you're saying about uh, uh, what happens to uh, black people as victims of racism, uh, even being led to participate in it. Um, Fascinating. Our caller in Michigan normally asks uh, that type of uh, question about confusion. Very, very rarely does anyone, white or non-white, submit that non-white people are more confused about racism. That is, I mean, like I could count on one hand the number of times that anyone has said that, oh, yeah, I don't, I think uh, black people, non-white people are a tad more confused about this racism thing. Very rare. And I agree. I think it's, it's non-white people uh, in a system of white supremacy. You cannot be white and be ignorant about ra- they are As the purge illustrates, there are expectations of you as a white person and white people will let you know when you have made an error, like providing sanctuary for a Negro. Uh, two callers uh, left and we'll be all done. Uh, Mr. Nero already mentioned white people kill for fun. Mr. Nero, did you have a question for Dr. Kovorkian? 
Mr. Nero, you with us, sir? Did you have a question? Uh, greetings, Gus. Greetings to the callers. Yes, we can hear you. Your line Hello? was breaking up. Yes, sir. Your line was breaking up a little bit. Yeah. We can hear you. Oh, okay. Dr. Borkin, great to have you on the broadcast. It's great to have, it's great to have already had your words with us even before you called in. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Let me ask you something uh, before I ask my question in regards to film. Um, I'm just curious, kind of personal. Have you ever dated a black female before? Uh, I, I have. I have not. I have not. Yeah, not okay. Um, let me ask you because you mentioned nothing but a man. Can you maybe share with me the contrast between the relationship between black males and black females from that film as it equates to the uh, the franchise of The Purge? Yeah, I mean, I mean, what I remember. Uh, it's been a while, but I mean, there's a wonderful, um, you know, woman at the center of that film who, you know, is, is in a, is in a, what I see is a loving relationship with a black man and is trying to, to help him out of his confusion, to, to help him see himself, uh, as, as a man. Um, and I mean, you don't see those kinds of, that kind of a supportive, uh, relationship in uh, anywhere in the in the purge film. Did you have? Uh, I mean, uh, I'd be happy to to hear you expound on that because I I suspect you have. An idea. Well, I'm wondering. Well, I'm wondering if you feel that's accurate in real life. I mean, do you see? Do you see black males and black females? Do you see them connected, or do you see them as two separate groups based on the, the theory? The Purge franchise, I should say. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right. Um, I mean, yeah, there are, um, you know, there are just minimal points of connection. Uh, we have, you know, even uh, even the father being separated from from the daughters. Even even that can't is not portrayed on on screen. You know that he, you know, that the, the, the non-white man man is is taken off and sacrificed. So yeah, in the in the realm of representation, uh, they're kept separate. I don't think that's I don't think that's reality. I mean, it's it's I uh, um, there are no. I mean, that's not that's not that's not reality as 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 I know it. Uh, okay, so you see black males and black females connected, more connected than the film portrays. I, I I I do I do I mean I uh, maybe I'm yeah I'm fortunate to know people who are in in good relationships but um, that's that's what I that's what I know and that's what I that's what I see uh, I think that there's probably real real challenges that that uh, are faced in this this world but uh, the way it's set up but I don't I I think that uh, that separation is not is not inevitable, and in in I don't know. Interesting. Okay. Well, I will uh, yield the rest of my time because I know there's another call, and I know you've been off for over three hours. I I just wanted to get your um, your take on it. So, but thanks for coming on the broadcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Mr. Nero. 
Hang on. Final caller. Uh, caller at 4693-4693. Do you have a question for Dr. Kevorkian? Yes, I do have a question. Hello there, Greg. Greetings. Basically, um, what I wanted to um, touch on was that when you look at movies like The Purge and um, and its comparisons with, um, I'm trying to compare it with um, what happened to the Jewish people in Nazi Germany. And um, when you look at movies like this, because most white people do not stare around black people. They get most of their information from what they see on TV. So when you look at what happened in Germany before Hitler started to exterminate the Jewish people, they set them up into classification. German Aryans against the minority group, much like in the United States. The white Protestant American against the minority groups, most specifically black people. The second thing they did was blame them for polarization, blame the Jewish people for bringing down the German economy. The third thing they did, which is what whites are doing if you look at any of Dr. Claw Anderson's work, was that they excluded the Jewish people from German society. And that is just, and you can see the same exercises that has been, that has been happening against African-Americans here. And the Dred Scott decision and the non-neglect policies. And when you look at the third thing, they use the media. And what that is called is propaganda. Much like you see on The Purge when you have, you know, the, the drug store incident, I mean, the store incident about the kids trying to break into the store and how they got, you know, shot in the head. And they basically called Jewish people inferior, much like whites call black people inferior. As a matter of fact, they classified as the human. And then they created the IQ test to justify, you know, the intellectual inferiority of, to falsely justify the intellectual inferiority of the Jewish people much like you see with blacks going on today in public schooling. And, you know, they created the special education program in 1969. Dr. Francis Chris Welsing made the most important statement was that the justification of Hitler exterminating the Jewish people was based on the fact that they were non-white. And the justification of black people that white people try to make against black people in America is the fact that we are black and we are non-white. Now, of course, all minorities are being oppressed, but the type of oppression that black people uh, are facing in America. Uh, question? Um, do you believe that America is setting up African-Americans for the single most greatest Holocaust in human history as we speak based on the principles I've just mentioned? Because there's some sort of similarity that has happened to black people in America, much like what happened to the people in, in Nazi Germany. I would say just very clearly that I, I hope not, but I also see the the uh, the analogies that you're making, and they're they're ones that have are there. There's validity in the the, the, the scapegoating, uh, the way that the blame is is asserted. Um, uh, uh, I don't know. There's, there's another book that just came to mind. It's it's uh, called Rituals of Blood by Orlando Patterson, uh, he's a professor at Harvard, and uh, 
he, in, in one of his chapters, it's called Rituals of Blood, Consequences of Slavery in Two American Centuries. Uh, and he also does draw on uh, some analogies to Nazi Germany uh, in talking about the history there. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think that there is a, a, there's a violent, uh, there's violence that's happening right now. Uh, I don't think that there's anything on that sort of scale that would happen in, in that way. I don't, I don't think that, I, I don't foresee that, but uh, I think there is real violence that is already happening now. Um, uh, and the only thing I can say about that is that um, at the very least, such acts of violence against blacks in America are at last drawing more negative attention than they once did. And I have one more question. Now, with the scene um, of the um, the African American youth in the movie being run over and killed, it kind of drew my attention to Robert Kirsten's comic book version of the game, uh, The Walking Dead. And that was the scene in the beginning of the game where there's um this this is the beginning of the game. There was a scene, um, this African-American girl walked inside the restroom and tried to rob the character by the name of Clementine. Omid, which is the character of the white pregnant lady, walked inside and she turned around and a gun went off. She killed him. Now, this African-American girl was talking with all kinds of slangs and stuff. And there was this later scene about this pregnant black mother. She had a loud mouth. Her husband was afraid of her who just so happened to be black. And come to find out, the the baby who she was pregnant who, who who when she was pregnant the baby didn't even belong to him it belonged to a white man the whole time so she was pregnant by a white man inside the movie I mean inside the game so do you believe that because a lot of people don't for the most part don't ever touch on a racism in gaming like there's a huge form of racism that's happening in video game right now and I'm a huge video game fan and do you think that in video gaming, they are trying to condition the minds of younger white youth to have some sort of um, psychological mindset towards people of darker hue, people who are black, people who are considered African. Well, I would say if, if you're seeing those patterns then that in those video games, then that's an indication that the people who are, are making those games already have those mentalities in, inside them uh, and whether they're trying to consciously pass that on or whether it's just an expression of their own miseducation I don't I don't know but I think that's why it's healthy once we notice these patterns to call them out uh, uh, to make it clear that that these sorts of patterns are not acceptable and are destructive should not be passed on, should not be part of, of, the, of a miseducation system. Um, okay, that's all I had. You can be the line, guys. Appreciate Thank that. Uh, appreciate uh, Dr. Kavorki and you sharing your time with us this evening. Uh, before we let you go, I had said I wanted to hear uh, how the uh, robot, uh, your analysis from uh, the first Purge film uh, and how the robot may be related to what you touched on in color monitors or just what you thought about Charlie's use of the robot in the uh, the Purge number one. 
Oh, well, uh, thank you for asking, and, and thank you for, for your patience. I sometimes ramble on and on while I'm just trying to figure out what I'm going to say. Um, but and I'm sorry for the length of, of all of my answers. But uh, one of the things I noticed about Charlie is that uh, he even seems to be wearing glasses that remind me of, of the first Terminator. I don't know if that struck you or not, that, you know, he's, it's one of his ways of sort of compensating for his feebleness is that he sort of tries to take on this kind of Terminator power uh, by controlling this little little doll by remote control. And he seems to wear those, those shades like Schwarzenegger had. Um, but the thing that I was thinking about was this reminded me of a conversation that we had when we talked about the blind side. Um, and I was thinking really of the trajectory that happens between Terminator 1 and Terminator 2. Uh, in Terminator 1, the Terminator, uh, played by Schwarzenegger, uh, is this machine who, that is increasingly sort of just stripped down. The more it gets damaged, the blacker it becomes, right? Uh, just like the doll that Charlie has. It's just kind of this, it was a doll, but now it's all burnt out and it's become blackened. Um, and it's about this, this machine that relentlessly is going after Sarah Connor. It's all about a machine that is just seen as programmed to go after the white woman. And I, I think there's a way in which that, that relentless pursuit by this, this masculine machine is something that uh, reflects on the history of fears of the, the black man uh, perceived as the predator of the white woman. And I think that's one of the, the residues of that pursuit. Time up. Oh, no, that means something else entirely. <laughs> okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's right. I, I, it's, uh, uh, but uh, uh, in Terminator 2, what happens is that the Terminator says, come with me if you want to live. Uh, this is now somehow the threat of the Terminator uh, has been neutralized, and the Terminator in Terminator 2 almost becomes the toy of that young boy, uh, the Edward Furlong character, he's always telling the Terminator, do this, do that. Uh, and he has kind of almost a remote control um, power over this Terminator 2. And so I started thinking of that relationship between the young boy in Terminator 2 and the Terminator when I saw Charlie controlling that robot and using that robot to send messages and to essentially lead around um, the, black, the black bloody stranger who comes into the house. Uh, he doesn't talk to him. He's not in the same physical space for him, but there's a way in which he sort of leads him to that hiding space. He leads him to go hide in the closet by using the robot. And it's almost as if, just like in Terminator 2, where it goes from uh, the threat of the, the black body to the controlled robot, um, that we have this potential threat of the intruder in the house, in the white, in the, in the white family's house, to the little boy sort of directing this figure by means of his remote control robot. Um, and uh, I know I mentioned that came up in our discussion of the blind side, but I don't, uh, if, if you may recall, um, uh, the, the young black man who comes to live with a white family uh, is a talented football player, and he, they make a video of him and they call it the Terminator. Um, but many of the action, interactions between the young boy and this large young man who's come to live at their house are, are very reminiscent of that sort of thing. The little boy is always telling him what to do, and he exists only to protect that young boy. It's, again, this idea that he exists for the protection of, of the white family. 
um, just as the Terminator 2 ultimately exists for the protection of Sarah Connor and her son, uh, just as uh, Bloody Stranger, even in the first film, eventually offers himself up in sacrifice to protect the family. So that's more than everything I had to say. Thank you for letting me say it. Wow. I think the the robot and Bloody Stranger, the black male, they actually uh, team up to save the white family at the end when they are about to be butchered by their white neighbors. Uh, The robot is the distraction that gets them to look the wrong way. And then the black male comes in to save the white people uh, that trope once again. But I think they are uh, connected. That's how the first film ends pretty much. Uh, I hadn't even, I hadn't even thought about that, but I did remember the robot and, and connecting with your work. I thought you might have a word or two. I hadn't even thought about that. The doll is blackened. Uh, folks see the first film, like it's been burned or what have you. Uh, it's a little, little white baby that he, uh, is using, uh, like a drone in the house. Basically that is, uh, hmm, I'll have to even give that some more thought. I'm glad I remember to, to ask that, uh, you can, you can hear more, uh, if you go back in the archives where we discussed, uh, Dr. Kowarki and his views on, uh, the Terminator and why in the second film uh, Sarah Connor's child is wearing a public enemy fear of a black planet t-shirt uh, in that film and what that means about racism, white supremacy, all of that is in uh, his book, Color Monitors, uh, great information, uh, get the book and or you can go in the archives and uh, hear our uh, discussion on it way, way back in uh, 2009, May of 2009 uh, it has been uh, quite an exchange of views grand to have you uh, back on the program to hear your thoughts uh, on the series of uh, films uh, really appreciate you sharing a bit of your Wednesday evening with us and uh, I'm sure there will be some more flicks that come out that listeners will want to hear a word or two on so we'll look forward to having you back on the program sometime soon Dr. Kevorkian well it's, it's always an honor and thank you as always Mr. Gusty Rundigate for being such a gracious host for sure, for sure. Uh, University of Texas, Austin, Dr. Martin Kevorkian, enjoy the rest of your evening. Uh, we will be in touch, sir. All right. Thank you. For Take sure. Thank you. E- evening, evening. Evening. Context of white supremacy. I don't even recall uh, what number in terms of how many times he's visited. I think uh, he's close to the double-digit range, uh, even though it has been, uh, I think, like five years uh, since we had him on the program. Um, you can go back. We, I, we talked about uh, nothing, but a la- uh, nothing But a Man uh, with the great Abby Lincoln, uh, the black female character in that. We talked uh, the Terminator films, The Blind Side, uh, Solo, uh, which is a uh, Mario Van Peebles film, uh, also about a robot. I mean, tons, 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 tons. Uh, of films, uh, the bank job, uh, lots and lots of films. I think we even did Avatar and some of the others. I think we did one of the Rocky films, uh, Hancock with Will Smith, uh, and, uh, Charlie's throne, uh, a slew, a slew of films, uh, over the years. You can go back in the archives and, uh, get some of the many, uh, items that we've discussed down through the years. Um, one quick thing I did want to get in, I thought it was hugely important the end of the third purge film uh, where Joe, the black male who again is Bubba in uh, Forrest Gump uh, where he owns a store. And as Dr. Kevorkian pointed out, he's got like a photograph of, I think Dr. King, uh, minister Malcolm X. I think one of the people in the photograph is Marcus Garvey. Again, I'd have to look again. It's kind of a, it's a quick shot and it's kind of from a distance. So I'm, I'm giving a guess, but I think one of them could be Marcus Garvey anyway. Uh, so his store gets uh, burned down, looted and Joe, uh, sacrifices himself to save uh, a white woman, the senator. 
the film ends, you sh- you see Marcos, and Joe had already said he was going to make Marcos a partner. Marcos is uh, this Latino male. Uh, Marcos is presumably now the shop owner. You see him repairing the shop. He's painting it and putting everything back in place and getting it all fixed up so they can operate it. And they've got a, a picture in memorial to Joe. I thought that was uh, massive commentary in terms of plans uh this is supposed to be dystopian future there's there's a considerable time jump between the third film and the second film uh, i think the the first and second films they're supposed to be like 2022 and 2023 the third film is supposed to be 2000 i think 2040 uh 2040 or 2041 but it's like uh, almost 20 years have passed uh by the time that you get to the third film so this is way, way down the road that you're looking, relatively speaking. Uh, But I think that is a massive commentary where a black business owner uh, is killed and a quote-unquote Latino male takes over his store and now he's in charge operating. Massive commentary and that's how it ends, uh, where we started with black people sitting around in this store talking about their whole goal in life is waffles and sex. It ends with The black store owner being dead, a Latino has taken over the store. Hmm. Uh, I did not anticipate it taking this long uh, to get through all the films. I did know that, you know, the three films, that's a bit. I mean, we've done programs before with Dr. Kevorkian where we discussed, I think, four or five films on the program and we got it done in three hours. Now, some of that is we do have more callers than we had before. Uh, but, uh, some of that also, I think is these films do have a lot of layers. Uh, these are films that I've been taught anybody who's been listening to the cows over the past few years. I have referenced the purge regularly, uh, and saying that I think this is a part of the zeitgeist. Uh, that was one of the things I wanted to make sure I got in, in terms of representing this particular time in this part of the world, in terms of, if you want to get a flavor for how you end up with someone like Donald Trump, Uh, Being this close to the White House and what you're seeing, this notion of let's brand Black Lives Matter, a terrorist organization and the violence uh, that you're seeing, uh, whether it's police, terrorism or any of the other forms that it's taken, destruction of black schools, black neighborhoods, black business, black wealth, put that in quotes, uh, all of the forms that racism, white supremacy take is taking. In this particular part of the world, I think this film franchise, great snapshot and is encouraging an escalation of violence against black people. I would even say a celebration of white pathology, white terrorism uh, in these films. It's blatantly you see the white goons in the third film. They've got white power and everything on their uniforms. Um, I'm not sure if uh, I'm interested in going way, way long to make this a four hour program. But if uh, folks have a a quick sentence they would like to get in before we conclude, I think I can tolerate that. Uh, The folks that uh, chimed in to uh, ask questions, if you all have a quick sentence you need to get in before we wrap up, uh, I can deal with that. If not, we can we can go ahead and wrap now because we've done the three hours plus our OT. Anybody need a quick sentence they want to get in uh, on something they heard during the program? Everybody good. That's fine. too. <laughs> certainly did our, our work for today. We'll be here tomorrow for workplace racism, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. But anybody, any any quick sentences, uh, sentence they need to get in before we uh, wrap up or is everybody satisfied? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. 
Uh, yeah. I think uh, you said that a line in the movie, the guy said something about um, waffles and sex, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay. So when I hear that, <clears throat> that I hear that waffles and sex and that the chicken is silent. So that still sounds like a chicken joke towards black people, but the chicken was silent. That's what I wanted to say about that comment. Right on. Right on. I wanted to chime in to, um, in reference to uh, when Dr. Kevorkian uh, answered my question, I think what he said about deception was brilliant and how brilliant, how it manifests itself in black people in that way. And, and I like that, the fact that he used Nat Turner as an example and the fact that the people around him were convinced that, you know, they themselves and black people in general couldn't read. And the white people knew the black people better than they knew themselves to the point where they weren't surprised about it. I think um, that, that, that entire discussion, that, that, what he, that the point that he made um, was just very poignant. And that's why I kind of gave the caveat as far as describing the fact that we, actually participate in these films. So what does it say about the confusion? Who is actually really confused when you look at the, just the, the, the overwhelming number of uh, denigrating movies that are made and, and are actually, you know, multi-million, sometimes billion-dollar movies about, you know, either destruction of black life or the denigration of, of black people in some form or fashion. And, um, you know, I just thought it was a great, uh, great little thing that he discussed and that, that confusion because we talk about that quite often on the program. And I think just because he's been on the show so, so many times before, um, he really is perceptive and he listens to what, what you talk about as far as the importance of words. So I think he's actually a, a really um, good guest as far as just him being open with, with his ideas and his understanding of things to the best of his ability. Um, again, he's still a white person. This is a system of white supremacy, but I find um, the discussion to be very constructive. Thank you. Oh, he's an admitted white supremacist. Um, that might be a reason to go back and listen to the very first time he was on the program uh, where he admitted that that even is the reason that he came back so many more times was that I amended the description to include that when he was here the first time to include that he was an admitted white supremacist and the power of white people's technology that ended up being like on the first page of Google. Um, when you searched his name, that would pop up and admitted white supremacist. So he asked if I could take it down. And I said, well, that feels like I'm supporting racism. There would have to be a cost associated with that. Like you have to uh, agree to be a guest on our program. Like, I don't, it was like 10 times or something to, uh, to do, which he said, fine. I think I even asked for something else too, which he said he was agreeable to do. So then he subsequently came back a whole bunch of more times, but admitted, not just a white man admitted white supremacist and his response to when he admitted is pretty revealing as well. Um, yeah, <laughs> put that in. And I has, will go back. And, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, and he has that PhD in English too. I think I always try to point that out. And we have white people who have some expertise with words that they should be closely studied uh, because they tend to have uh, just words are the, the main tool. So whites that have uh, a, a special level of skill with the use of words, you should pay a special attention to. I agree. And I would just say, um, because I'm going to go back now and definitely listen to the first episode again, because it's been a while. Um, but I would say he's highly refined, probably one of the most highly refined people you've had on the show. I'll put it to you like that. 
wow, interesting. But I would just say his conversation is revealing. But um, I would say if, if being with what being with the information that you just um, that you just provided, it kind of reminds me in a way of uh, Sam Bachman. Like even though he's being pretty pretty open, I would say um, there's a loftiness, a white supremacist loftiness with which the information is coming from. So you can be comfortable, like you said, with the wordplay as an English professor because you're a white man when it's all said and done. You know when it's all said and done, regardless. Um, so. Very interesting. Thank you for that um, that insight. I appreciate it. <laughs> for sure. Uh, <clears throat> sorry. Thomas, uh, did you have a quick sentence you needed to get in before we conclude? Oh, yeah. I just wanted to add, um, in the third one, um, there was also use of a drone, um, which wasn't used in the first two um, either. Um, so it's been a... a a pattern of the robotic, you know, the remote control robotic use, uh, where the drone was following them and um, able to give the purges a pinpointed, you know, location on people they were trying to purge. I'll get my line. Thank you. Great show. Yep. I was going to bring that up in connection with the Dallas thing, uh, but can't get to everything. They, uh, the white man shoots down a drone in the third one as well. They're being uh, hunted, and they're, they're even able to discern that this is not a government-owned, operated drone. This is just some you know garage project that someone has made to participate in all these shenanigans. They even give the impression that this drone might even be able to inflict some violence uh, on people, but they shoot it down. The white man shoots it down. Uh, the caller, 1491, do you have a quick sentence you need to get in? One four nine one. You just listening, or did you have a sentence you need to get in? Okay. I'm sorry, guys. Hello. Yes, sir. Hello. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. Can I hear you? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. I, I was listening live, and um, I'm actually in my vehicle, but I was listening live, and I kind of came in on the part where he was, uh, I believe, discussing uh, Norm Stepper's view on. Um, how blacks should combat, I guess, violence, uh, well, police violence. And I was kind of unclear about what he had, he had said. Could someone break that down for me real quick? I greatly appreciate it. Uh, it'll be in the archives. <laughs> it was basically just the, okay. the, the white people in the purge films, uh, or at least in the third purge installment, there's a lot of discourse about, uh, telling these black people that they cannot commit acts of violence. Uh, and I brought up Norm Stamper and him saying the same thing that black people could not respond with violence in dealing with police, uh, terrorism. And we were talking about that aspect of, uh, whites trying to, uh, control how black people respond to oppression, white supremacy, uh, and uh, limiting their responses, certainly not allowing for violence in response to this problem. But it's in the archives. You can hear it. Okay. Thank you. Will do. For sure. For sure. Everybody satisfied? Any final thoughts? Anybody that uh, we haven't heard from who had a final sentence they needed to get in before we conclude? May I be heard? Oh. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Um, actually, I learned something today. I actually, you know, kind of uh, blew off, blown off fiction just as fiction, but now I see it is actually um, revealing in at least what their fantasies are. And then uh, as you 
team with Dr. Kevorkian, and I remember there was um, a statement by Malcolm X that said that uh, the movies and the books, and he studied them because they did, um, they would give you clues as to what they're up to. And I thank you for the show. Appreciate that, Joy. But I heard one other person who had a comment they wanted to get in. Also forgot to mention Dr. Kevorkian, the cowbell rung. I think Dr. Kevorkian is one of a hand. And I mean, we have done like in the neighborhood of 1500 programs at this point. I think Dr. Kevorkian is one of the few guests that we've had in seven plus years who asked, what is that there cowbell? What does that mean? <laughs> you can go back and hear that in the archives as well. But he is one of the few, uh, in addition to Dr. Rasayan, maybe one or two others who did ask what the meaning of the cowbell is. Anyway, uh, was there another person who had a quick sentence they need to get in or folks satisfied? Yeah, that, that was me. I was just going to say, you know, for the last couple of weeks, there's been an active purge in Turkey. And uh, I find it real funny that every time it's a purge in real life, it's non-white people, but the movies make it very clear that, you know, the purges are supposed to be the white people. Um, very, just very interesting how, you know, now the, Tur- the Tur- Turkish people are purging, and every time it's a riot, we are the purges, but it's never correlated to the white people. For sure. You can just pay attention. Anytime there's some sort of racial incident, it's very frequent. Uh, if it's a police shooting or something where black people are justifiably upset about being terrorized uh, and it's, oh, they're getting on Twitter and they're going to do some purge attack. Like I said, it just happened with the, the shooting of Alton Sterling in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I posted that link on uh, Facebook. Uh, folks satisfied? Any Anybody that we haven't heard from who had a, a final sentence they need to get in before we conclude? Yeah, um, I have one last statement. Um, even though um, Dr. Kohorkin didn't agree with my analysis, I know I'm not the smartest person in the world, but when you look at what happened in Nazi Germany, it looked very simple to what they're trying to do to us over here. I mean, I really think that we are being set up for an extermination campaign because um, we are a nation and we are under the nation in the United States. And the signs of them justifying our inferiority, um, them miseducating us, and then coming up with the IQ test, which came from Nazi Germany to, you know, make it seem like we have a lower IQ. I really think that we are being set up for an extermination campaign. And with these movies, they are conditioned other people to not see us as humans. And John D. Rockefeller said the point of propaganda is to convince others that a particular group of people is not human. So when you look at the very aspect of Nazi Germany, it seems very similar to the United States. You know, the Nazi foot soldiers of Nazi Germany can be compared to what Eddie Fuller called the race soldiers, which is the crooked police officers that are killing us unjustifiably. So that's all I wanted to say. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Uh, we will wrap things up uh we should be here tomorrow for workplace racism normal broadcast time 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific uh we'll be looking for we'll be looking forward to hearing from folks uh who have commentary uh on their workplace situation uh if you have thoughts feel free dial in if you would like to email that would work as well until justice at gmail.com until justice at gmail.com 
Uh, huge thanks to all the folks uh, for listening. Hope you got some constructive information. Uh, if you do not want to check out these films, it's no problem. I'm sure they will have all kinds of anti-plaque material uh, to peruse. Coming down the pike, uh, just stay tuned. More of it to come. They'll probably have another Purge installment before you know it. So if you haven't seen them, don't worry about it. More to come. Uh, thanks again for all the uh, participants. Uh, hope it was worthy of your time and energy this Wednesday evening. Uh, again, for what you heard this evening, for sure, sobriety would be best under conditions of white terrorism. Uh, let's make sure that we are able to make the best possible decisions to keep ourselves as safe as possible under conditions of white terrorism. Buckle up every time you're in a vehicle. <clears throat> uh, we want to do everything we can to minimize contact with race soldiers uh that said creator we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately cow signing out thanks all for tuning in nigga you so brainwashed i'm a victim brother no problem. You're a victim right. i'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning shut up the man has programmed my condition mm-hmm. even my conditioning has been conditioned <laughs> okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details